Um, let's quickly go around the table. I'll start with you, Dean. Mm. Even though you're not going to be there, sort of overarching, just a, a top-line overarching theme going into the show that you expect people to be banging on uh, and people like me and Ian to be reporting on. Um, I think 5G going towards standalone and then maybe on to more useful stuff in later releases, 16, 17, 18. I think that's going to be a deal. And, and you know, th- there's certainly going to be a lot of focus on is this when we start making money out of 5G? A lot of stuff on private wireless. And I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll drop something in from, from left field. I think it's going to be a bit on... Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. First for a couple of weeks, I think, because Ian had to go off and hang out in Eastern Europe for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, could have done one from there, but... We could have done a remote one, yeah. <laughs> well, you were drinking some of that weird named lager that you always talk Slatty about. Bajant. There we are. I was away too, so it would have been. Oh, you were away. Sorry, I forgot to mention you. Zlatan Bajan, is that Slovakia? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. There we are. Good skills. So, so there we are. Golden Pheasant. He's jumped the gun. I was about to introduce (laughs) our returning special guest, Dean Bubbly, analyst Dean Bubbly. Welcome back, Dean. Thanks, Scott. It's yeah. First time in this studio, isn't it? it yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, new offices. Actually, there's yeah. a lot more people here than the last one that I, when I came into. Yeah. The last so one. this is the this is the building that Informer got when it bought UBM. Okay. Um, if you so, come on a Friday, it would be, it'd be totally empty. Yeah, it's totally dead on it's Friday. It's like busy Monday to Thursday, and then no one comes in on Friday, right, basically. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've been so. working from home for 20 years, so uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of lost in the whole ebb and flow. I know, it's quite... It. Well, I mean, we work from home pretty much the only time we come in is for this. And it's quite... I always find it quite novel coming in, because it's, it's like a proper grown-up, corporate, shiny building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got this studio, and only only me, Ian, and, and the and the sort of facilities people have got keys, which often leads to sort of covetous. No, no, I don't have any. Not, sorry, any me, Pierre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. um, uh, which often leads to covetous looks from other people when they're trying to get a desk. <laughs> Actually, have we well, people the just door? wander in randomly. Don't the door was they? open when I got here. Did yeah, I, I opened it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all good. No, I was just wondering if we'd locked it now to stop nice. randos poking their head. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, um, before we go any further, um, Dean always steps up to the plate when it comes to beers, um, and I've got uh, I've got them in our in our special uh, Daniel Royston cooler here. <laughs> yeah, this this will do. So we've got. Um, I thought we should talk through them because uh, <laughs> we got this one, Tiny Rebel, which is a Welsh brewery for the camera as well. That's nice, though. Blueberry actually. tart. Mm. I don't know about the blueberry tart. Blueberry tart, tart, tart pale ale. Yeah, I, must admit, I saw it and thought pale ale. Could be good. It could be. I've, tiny, I've had tiny rebel before. It's nice. <clears> yeah, but. it's five and a half percent. Um, yeah. You, uh, These are Dean started gently for himself with a uh, daddy-sized planet pale. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an egg oil. Yeah, it's like four point three percent. It's quite yeah, quaffable. Right. Quaffable. We'll see. We'll What's see this? if we can get get you on the blueberry tart in a bit. We've got a couple of stubbies of this thing called Leith Juice. Yeah, it's like an orange. Orange player. Session IPA. Is that That's Scottish? Good. Yeah, yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, Camper Van Brewery. <coughs> That's not very reassuring, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, have, you, have you got Scottish? Have you got Scottish? Have you got, we've got Welsh. Crack. We, right, got, yeah. OC, so you've this, gone full British Isles. Huh? We should make uh, a... Uh, and then we've got... No, well, this one says Boston. Oh, this is Camper Van as well. Is so this is the last one um, that That's Dean got. Right. It's called Boston Bakewell. Scott, you should have a Crack Den Pale Ale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is cherry chocolate and almond milk stout. I'm not going to be drinking that. Nah, nor am I, man. That's, that's going to go on the. That's a milkshake. That's going to go on the pile with, um, with the Elena's diet. We, we, we can give that to a guest in future, yeah. 
Is that mentioning Elena, I should, I should. Sorry, we about to say no, something. One day we should do like a contest, and whoever loses has to drink all that refuse, <laughs> all that weird stuff. Yeah. It's like having, it's like I've got home. I've got my drinks cabinet. I've got what I call the shelf of shame, which is like full of all these weird drinks I've picked up in duty freeze. When I, I've got like twelve pounds worth of local currency, and it's somewhere I'm never going. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, that's bright green and eleven pound fifty nine equivalent. I'll have that, uh, and it just sits I'll on the shelf. Of blow shame. my pocket change on that. <laughs> We should, I, should, I mentioned I mentioned Elena's uh, long derided and ignored diet G and T's that still sit in the corner there, um, and uh, I sh- that's an excuse to give her a shout out because she invited me onto a, a Liberty pod that just went up today. So today's Thursday. Hopefully, we'll publish this Friday. The purpose of us doing it a day early is that this is a pre. Moor Congress preview um, episode, so we want to get it up so you can listen to it on the plane. And it'll make your flight to Barcelona that bit more fun, hopefully. Or the bus. Or the bus, yeah, or the train. Who's, who's or taking the bus? If you're afraid of flying, you know, taking the bus. Well, if you're like Dennis Bergkamp. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that yeah. case, we should make it even longer than it normally is. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, on, on that note, actually, I've got a few other tangents I want to go on. But um, I want to ask Dean, before we get into it, you listen to the pod regularly. Mm-hmm. I've had a few people say they reckon it's a bit on the long side. What do you reckon? I, I think I would tend to agree. I reckon about hour 20, hour 30 would be a sweet spot. It starts getting up to hour 40 towards two hours. And I listen at double speed as yeah, well. Yeah. So. No, you're not the first person to say that. So I'm going to try and take that on board. It's all on me because I'm the, I'm the MC. It's down to me to shut Ian up. <laughs> um, but I will endeavour to do that but you know I, today might not be the best day to be really strict about that because there's so much to cram in and it's the special sort of primo or congress one but I'll do my best so we started about two let's see how it goes um, a few other little bits and bobs to talk about I've got to give another shout out to um, Amy Elston from Red Hat and uh, Sean Jackson are you still at Axcom Sean anyway I went out last night with my son who's 18 and we went and saw a French metal band called Gojira, uh, Alexandra Palace. Gojira. Gojira, yeah. Your ear's still bleeding. Gojira. Um, it was actually, the volume was just about right. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Ali Pali, I've never been to Ali Pali before. It's a good venue. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were supported by someone called, what were they called? I was took it, photos. with the glass uh, ceiling, like that? Yeah, it's in North London. It's got a sort of big radio tower. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd never, I'd never been there before, even though I'm it's from... It's a good venue even though I'm from North London. Um, they were supported by a Kiwi band called Alien Weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's their logo. Oh, that's excellent. That's proper metal. Did they have nice ballads? I, I saw the ballads. Prodigy there once, actually. Oh, brilliant. Wow. I'm so jealous. I've never seen them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they were supported by another band who were good, but had a shit name called Employed to Serve. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they're a metal band, and, and it's Employed to Serve, written in Times New Roman. Oh, that's weird. And that's not much of a metal logo, is it? No. But you wouldn't think it, because they were proper loud, and they had a, they had a female singer, but she had that, she'd got that thrashy voice, so I couldn't even tell. You know, that's a... Bah! Yeah. Yeah, she was doing all that. Anyway, it was a really good gig, and I bumped into Amy and uh, Sean and a couple of their mates, so shout out. I told Amy I'd give her a shout out anyway. Well, um, they just happened to be there. You knew there we go. Yeah, I was or, emailing her anyway about my War Congress, um, right. and uh, and I said, by the way, I'm going to Gajira, and she went, so am I. And so I'm, I'm surprised her. Amy's into metal, but she's um, proper into metal. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I've never talked to her about her music taste. So her gateway drug was uh, Pantera. <laughs> yeah, Steel Panther, also another good one. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, so I think I think that's that as far as sort of general bullshit I wanted to talk about. Um, 
was there something? I've got, I've got a nagging feeling there was something else I wanted to get in at the start, but there we are. Um, so, yeah, that's it, really. So we're going to talk about, I suppose, yeah, there's just a couple of things to talk about that I've been up to. So Ian and Pierre were away, but there were a couple of events that happened while you were away that I went to that are worth brief mention, um, especially as uh, uh, Dean wasn't either of them either. Um, one was organised by TIP, uh, Telecom Infrastructure project that used to be a Facebook thing but now is rebranding itself as more a sort of general industry consortium um, yeah. a trade association yeah. Meta, Meta is saying that it's sort of like pulling back rather than pulling out from yeah. a lot but, of they, but they scrapped their <coughs> Facebook connectivity division didn't yeah. they and so they've obviously got some funding issues and, it's, and, and it was interesting because I was, I was trying to get my head around what they are because I was doing my usual thing, and you know I'm always fucking up the difference between standards and um, what's the other one begins with S that I always confuse it with? Specifications. Specifications. Yeah, I did that again right. in front of everyone. Um, <laughs> but that was fine. I, I don't have much professional pride. Um, but I was trying I, to look at I what they are. I don't think anybody would mind that, really. Because no, do you know what? Exactly I don't think I'm alone on that one. It's pretty, you know, I'd expect you yeah. two to have that one quite nailed. But well, The thing is, from my understanding of TIP, is they do different things in different areas. In some yeah. areas, they do yeah. sort of specifications. Some, they do best practices. And then some, they actually write their own open source code for yeah. particular yeah. things. So, so yeah. it's a bit of, a bit of everything. Really. Open RAN, I know, is one where, because they've had this sort of alliance with the, with the ORAN alliance... Mm. That they're much more involved on the kind of use cases and putting stuff together rather than actually coming up with the specifications to avoid overlap. Basically. Whereas Open Wi-Fi have been doing some stuff on recently and they've actually got written software, their own software code for Wi-Fi access points and cloud controllers. Um, and it, I mean, the standards are still the Wi-Fi Alliance things that get certified, yeah. but, but they write the, the, the basic... Yeah, so I was trying bolts. to get my head around what the point of them is and where they fit into the mix... And, you know, and they, they very much present, present themselves as sort of facilitators and, and just trying to uh, just trying to bring people together, but, but at a sort of lay, at a level higher than the core. Well, they, like, 3 they've got a really big role in Open RAM because even with mm. the specifications, that doesn't get you interoperability. You have to go through loads of phases of testing. That was a big, yeah, you're right. Interoperability is a big part they, of They kind of about. fit into that side of it. The, the, they're also quite a big fan of this whole disaggregation thing. <laughs> yep, of, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And not just on the on the radio network, but on switches, on, on, on fixed network, bits of fixed yep. network, where they think there's either, either the... I mean, someone, a lot of their members are telcos or managed service providers. Yeah. And they seem to think that by getting more vendors into the market, that'll bring the cost down and more flexibility. The basic and and the way of doing it is if you disaggregate Competition it, argument. Exactly. Yeah. You can basically have someone who just does Wi-Fi access points and not the cloud controller or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's... <clears throat> yeah. And so they're extending that argument, which is often used as one of the USPs for Open RAN, yeah. to they're saying open anything. And, and you were saying that you had a chat with them not long ago <coughs> on Open Wi-Fi, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. So they'll do open anything. Yeah. Uh, they got open fan in it, or they're, they're calling that open something fan. like um, OTT right or open something open fan like that. in uh, November, yeah. I think. In yeah, Fuse, because that was their yeah, event that yeah. you went to. Um, so that was that was good fun, and we went for a be- few beers after. Shout out to um, Christian, the the director, the main man. I had a good beer and a chat with him, and I had a really good chat with uh, Rudolph, the head of comms. So hi guys, if you're listening. So that was good fun. Thanks for that. And then the other thing I went to the day after was. Um, a Vodafone group thing. So we'd spoken on the pod before about a Vodafone UK thing with, um, what's Andrew his name? Donna. Andrea Donner, yeah. I always want to call him Luca. I think it's because I confuse him with Luca Viali. He looks a little bit like He's it. Italian and he's got oh, no hair. Rest in peace. Yes, bless him. Um, Andrea Donner. But, but this one was group and it was, um, among the people there was Scott Petty. 
Um, in fact, I got a great, great quote from him in the Q&A after. Um, he was talking about where they are with sort of public cloud, um, you know, which may or may not come up further up in, in, in this chat. And and he sort of he sort of said something where I couldn't resist. You know, he's saying we we like to hedge our bets a bit. You know, a bit of this, bit of that, bit of on premise, bit of public, and all that sort of thing. And I went sort of knowing the answer, but but intrigued to hear how he would answer it. I said, oh, well, how easy is it to switch between these big uh, public cloud providers? And he just went, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> Which is a great quote. I just haven't got round to. It's the sort of thing that I'd love to have written into a, a story. Although you don't want to be too childish and go, <laughs> a grown up said a naughty word. Yeah. But um, I'll do it instead. But yeah, feel free to use it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry about that, Scott, because he did look a bit. He looked a bit rueful. But I don't think. I, by the way, Scott, if you're listening to this, I don't think you should regret that at all. I think that's what. Um, what are the that's what spokespeople like? should do is say say noteworthy things. What did Simon look like when he said it? Well, I had a good chat with Simon Gordon after, actually. They took us out for some beers and a good chat with Simon and, and me and Abby George, who's just gone, who I've known for years, but she's just gone in-house there. We, we were the last people standing. It's two of us at about... I mean, bear in mind that the beer started about 2pm and I think we knocked it on the head about 8, so that wasn't a bad session. I've got, I've got an interesting <coughs> question for you, actually, about... Well, I was just going to quickly answer your question about Simon. Yeah. He, he, was, it, he was all in favour of it's, it. It's about Simon. Though. Oh, go ahead. Who's got a better beard at the moment, Simon or Jamie? <laughs> Oh, it's got to be Jamie. Yeah, because Simon used to have quite an impressive beard for a while. But Jamie's but... Jamie's got a sort of Brian Blessed level of bushiness going on. Zangief. None of this, none of this Pierre nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I think so. I, I don't remember making a sort of quantitative assessment while I was chatting to oh, Simon. That's the next. But time. my gut feel is uh, Jamie's beard's right up there in terms of general bushiness. Which is which is the direction? No offence to the beardy people who've got oh, got right. a more trimmed beard. It's, it's, it's reasonably sculpted, I like <laughs> yeah. to think. But yeah, I can't even grow a beard. No, I, well, exactly. I can't. I can't judge anyone on that one. So, uh, and anyway, that, quickly um, rounding up that one. Apart from um, good fun after, oh, and I should I should mention. Perhaps Simon won't thank me for this, but we did talk in a pub after, and he said he's going to see if he can get Scott Petty on the pod. So I hope you're listening, Simon and Scott, and uh, it'd be brilliant to have you on. <clears throat> well, that's great. Mm. And I thought that quote from Scott, I, I think spokespeople, I know it's difficult when you're in a senior management point of view uh, position, you know, you, you have got to be very careful and in your, in you're working for a publicly listed big company, you've got to be very careful what you say. But I think, you know, they've got to be a little bit loose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if they're too bolted down, what's the point of them talking I mean, at all? It never hurt the likes of John Legere to exactly. uh, mm. Timo US and a few others who exactly. are sort of renowned yeah. for speaking. Well, and that other lad who's just retiring, he... he the CTO. Neville. Neville Ray. Neville, Neville Ray, Ray, yeah. for pretty outspoken sometimes yeah, yeah. on things, yeah. Um, and anyway, th- th- very quickly that story, because I don't want to drill into it, but their story was they come up with a whole 5G um, base station running on a little Raspberry Pi, which is like the, about the most rudimentary sort of computing yeah. that you can get. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the point of that was um, that, you know, the... the, the the software and, and basically the plumbing of a, of a base station has become so portable and so softwareized that you can stick it on nearly anything now. That was the the illustrative point they were trying to make. Very basic, though. Very yeah. basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, to be honest, I've been following this private cellular thing for a long time. I saw my first sort of small 
PicoCell 2001 as a 2G one, and it came with a, a core, well, we call it an edge-based core network. It was basically a thin rack mount server in 2005, I think. There's a company called Zynetics had it, and I remember playing around with it in, there was an office uh, just off um, Fleet Street, when I attached my phone to the local network and it hooked it into the phone system. So, yeah, good on mm. them for doing this, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, this stuff's been around for a while. Quite a while, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, that was one of the criticisms, actually, for, for people who were sort of taking a sceptical line. I mean, there's a couple of um, analysts on the Omdia side looking at it, saying it's not, you know, there are other companies doing this kind of thing. And and then I think one, yeah. of, the, one, of, the, one of the things is why, why are they talking about it? You know, because they didn't seem to have a, a commercial story to go with it. It's like, oh, our engineers have done this, but what would you do with it exactly? And uh, To be um, honest, I, I, th- I think that type of experimentation is missing. Yeah. in the telecoms industry good on them actually yeah, yeah. You know, if, if they've got it and they you know, they, they send it out to people as a sort of developer prototype kit yeah, yeah. it may well be that, that they, they get a community meeting in a couple of months time and someone's come up with a blinding idea for it yeah well I think the special source was a, uh, an SDN card made SDR. by yeah Lime, Lime Microsystems yeah that's yeah. right um, and, and so basically with this card um, that's what converts any old random ZX Spectrum into a 5G base station. So there we are. Um, so I think they're just talking about the sort of portability and the flexibility. I think that was the purpose of that exemplar. So that's that's one other thing. And I'll just do that, given that you guys haven't been around. That's that's what I've been out and about doing. Um, haven't been out about this week, apart from going to Gojira last night. Um, I'm just saying it like in the Japanese way. <laughs> Gojira. Oh, they're Japanese, are they? Well, no, no, they're French. French, yeah. Gojira is... Godzilla in Japanese. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. I figured uh, it was a French word. No, the movie is originally... It's Gojira. Oh, yeah. shit. That shows uh, what I know about things. Did you know this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I didn't know it. Um, one more thing I want to say before we get into it, which is that, you know, the, the core purpose of this um, pod is to preview Mobile World Congress. And we thought, who better to get on than Dean, who's got no time for Mobile Congress? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I just yeah. think, you know, that's fun. There's no point in having someone from the GSMA on talking about how fucking great it is, is it? Um, but just one other funny thing I want to point out. We had a story go a little bit viral. It was written by Nick Wood. And the headline was, 30 years after sending the first text... Vodafone opts for Google RCS. And it was just a story about how Vodafone's got this partnership with Google. And in fact, oh, I know, Dean, I've known you to be strident on the subject of RCS in the past. Yeah, for 15 years. Yeah, there we go. 30 is all it is. And, you know, and it it was mainly straight reporting. He was just reflecting on the irony of Vodafone having invented the text and now they've basically given up and they're getting into bed with Google was was his journalistic angle. Uh, My my sense was, I mean, Vodafone's been playing around with RCS for a while. I I think this is more ditching their existing platform and essentially outsourcing it to Google. Yeah, so that was, um, um, without even um, necessarily having read Nick's thing, you've nicely summarised his angle. And then he just made one little point. You know, we try, just like you, Dean, as an analyst, you like to add sort of analysis and and personality to what you do. We try and do that with our writing. And so there was just one little bit in his story um, where he goes... Um, Isn't RCS like... the telco sector's kind of response oh, yeah. to things like iMessage and WhatsApp, and now it's basically controlled by Google. Well, it was a GSMA thing, so uh, so I mean, <clears throat> Dean might go even further up with GSMA's um, Christmas card list if we get into this <laughs> uh, all the more. But 
it, it, I think it's been a GSMA thing. Yeah. And I understand the thinking behind it because, you know, you've got things like WeChat in China where you can do all kinds of clever shit yeah, um, via yeah. one messaging app. I, I, super app, is yeah, yeah, super app. Like, as per, but, but it's older than all of those. It came. It, started, it was. I think the work started in two thousand and seven, which I think is before right. iMessage and glacial. before WhatsApp. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the thing. I think it, it's. I can understand the theory <clears throat> behind behind basically sort of text messages on steroids, but yeah. they've just never made they it. Just cocked they've it just off. never brought it into the, practice. They never explain who or why you would want richness as a thing mm-hmm. rather than something which does useful things. And also because it's, it's essentially it was a coalition of the losers. It was all <laughs> the people who didn't have a messaging app saying we need to have a messaging app. Because yeah. back in the time it was like it was more about Skype and Viber yeah, and yeah. Yahoo. It was Viber. Sort of, Viber, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So it, it was like in opposition to OTTs. Yeah, yeah, 2007 yeah. era OTZ. Yeah, and, yeah. and then I think GSMA got involved around, I think it was more around 2012. There was a thing right. called RCSE or something So like by that. then things, some of the other, yeah. other things had started but to it come was, along. It, yeah, and Android was more of a thing then yeah. as well. So, you know, but it was it was never, it was always engineered. It, it, looked, it looked like one of these cars where they've got a bunch of, you know, random bits and pieces in the parts bin and they've glued it all together rather than starting with a blank piece yeah. of paper saying, what do people actually want to do? How did it end? Because I remember looking at Mavenir's little update on their yeah. financial results recently, and they went, <clears> we did really well in open round, 100 million revenues. We did really well in this, 100 million. RCS, rubbish. We can't compete with the big platforms like Google. How did it end up that this thing that was the GSM was trying to steer is now done by Google? You know? I, I, think, I think it was when Google bought a company called Jibe. Right. And, and ultimately, it's Google's version of iMessage for Android. Um, which they, which is sort of more telco friendly than iMessage, but I think over time, as telcos didn't really deploy it, it Google has sort of taken it back more into their own control right. because they realised that they were never going to have an iMessage clone with this operator, that one, not really interoperating, not really promoting it. Yeah, and, and so I think Google's sort of trying to wield a bit more control. A bit too late. And I, g- I gather I don't have an iPhone. I've got an iPad, but I've always been an Android person. Um, but I gather iMessage is pretty good. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the one of the principal sources of stickiness, apart from the fact that people have got millions of pounds invested in their iTunes libraries and all that sort of thing. Uh, and one of the reasons it's good is that Apple can unilaterally make a decision of, oh, we're going to have new animated emojis or new, yeah. we're going to copy Snapchat and, and they give you cat ears, and they just do it. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't, if for some reason it doesn't work, they can roll it back as well, or they can test it on 100 million random people out of, the, out of a billion. Whereas if you're doing all this stuff by committee, you yeah. can't do the A-B testing and you've got to, you end up with something which well, is a and, bit and, more like a lowest common denominator. And that's yeah. the essence of the advantage that Apple has, of course. Um, Pierre, you seem to agree that iMessage is quite a handy service, is that right? Yeah, but even like the, the FaceTime thing, you know, if you had mm. told me like in 2006 <clears throat> you can talk to your friend in California yeah. over video and it's not going to cost you... I mean, just a bit of data. But you can do that on, on what, Skype. Data. Skype. Or, or Skype at the time, in 2000. Yeah, but on your phone, from the street, yeah, yeah. you'd be like, wow, no way. Well, as, as ever, with, with Apple being this closed system, everything's everything's much more polished, and, and you don't, don't have to have all those trade-offs that you were just it describing. It does seem to work very well with FaceTime. I know when I talk to my son in America, FaceTime seems to work better than some yeah. other kind of... It's WhatsApp is like grainy. Yeah. And if you're on an iPhone, and that works a lot better than, well, than WhatsApp does, for sure. And yeah. if, from, if you have a Mac, you can pick up from your computer if you want. Yeah. Which, no, fair enough. I, I, I completely get all these arguments in favour of Apple. Where, where I don't have Apple is principally, firstly, I, I, I'm a bit worried about being, about being locked in. Wall garden. Yeah, and, and, just, and just being over-invested <laughs> in them. And then the other one is, I, 
Yeah, I think I just like the thought of mixing it up. You know, I've got I've got iPads at home, but then I use a uh, Microsoft PC, and I use an Android phone. I quite like the thought of mixing it up a little bit. But I'm, I'm, I know that there are trade-offs. I know there are things I'm not getting as a result of adopting that position. But you're getting freedom, Scott. I'm getting freedom from... <laughs> From bloody Apple. Anyway, so that, back to the point of this story because this, this has got a funny side of it. So Nick, Nick just had a little bit of fun when it, um, basically exactly what we've just been talking about, and, and he's just got this one sentence where he says, "Quote: Furthermore, iPhones." iMessage app is not interoperable with Android and won't be any time soon. So an Android user sending a message to their cooler, more popular friend who has an iPhone <laughs> will have to make do with SMS, MMS, or the aforementioned OTT app. Okay, so you laughed, and you know it's obviously a bit tongue-in-cheek. This story went a little bit viral, and it seems to have triggered what I call Apple snowflakes. Uh. So the first comment. So th- this is this segment's about comments. It's been a while since I've been able to talk about me fucking with people in the comments section, but I've had some fun with this one. Um, so the first comment from, from someone called G G W E quote. So an Android sending a message to their cooler, more popular friend who has an iPhone will have to make do with SMS. Close quote. W T F. Come on with your nonsense here. This isn't journalism. So I wrote back. What is it then? <laughs> and then. Um, and then uh, another person, and then another person goes. I might think you are stupid to have iPhone, but saying all iPhone users are stupid is not journalism. Another person telling us what journalism is, and most importantly, is not the right thing to do. And I wrote back and said, "Agreed. That's why we didn't. Because where did we say that iPhone <laughs> users are stupid? Far from it. We said they were cool." Um, and I said, and that's why we didn't. But you did, because the person started by saying, I might think you were stupid. So talk about self-defeating. Oh They've done the thing they're accusing us of. What was it? Another one was just pure trolling from me. Someone asked a rhetorical question. In what way is an iOS user more popular than an Android user? And I replied, they've got more friends. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because I just, there was a, a, an article that went viral on Reddit this week where it says Gen Z... Uh, like Apple popularity with Gen Z is a problem to Android. Like it's clearly more popular with Gen right. Z, yeah. with younger people, yeah. so particularly in the US. And no, I heard yeah. that as well. Well, I mean, US, it's got like massive install base. Yeah, yeah. it's proving your point. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think I think a lot of this the comment on this is very US centric. Where WhatsApp isn't the default, as it yeah. is in a lot of the, yeah, lot of yeah. Europe and, and, and Asia. It's, it's WhatsApp or it's WeChat in China or Line yeah. in a few countries in Asia. So the whole sort of <clears throat> Apple, not Apple thing doesn't really apply because, frankly, we all use WhatsApp. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing with Netflix. Like, the US, all the Reddit stuff is very American and they always yeah. shit on on Netflix so much because it, it's pretty bad over there because everything is split, you know. Where right. here we still have good movies and good series I see. where they don't have any of that left there. Oh, so I, see. I was like, why do they so mean uh, about Netflix? Yeah, it's just been taken off because of because the studios are trying to because have it on their own platform. Because there's Paramount and, Plus. Yeah, 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 like, we don't it. have these here, so... Right, yeah. so it's more fragmented. Well, mm. look, I mean, every, every week I generalise about Americans. Every week I apologise for it, and it sounds like I'm having a go at Americans. I stress I'm not. But culturally, they, it does seem to be a, an easily polarised place. They do. They do like to pick a team, um, you know. But you're um, rubbish. Um, well, I mean, I obviously don't agree, but I love it when they when they get triggered by something like this because it's just great sport, as far as I'm concerned. Another person goes. This is a comment. It's from Michael, suggesting that a person's choice of operating system or handset is in somehow relevant to how quote cool or popular they are is at best laughable. And then he goes, "This is the bit That's I the love." Point. This is a bit I love. He goes, "At worst, it's." It's deeply tragic and damaging. The author of this article, oh, whose 
brackets whose name I choose not to grace by repeating. It's very well, you like Voldemort or something. Now, yeah, isn't it? should be utterly ashamed of themselves. And I just reply, damaging. I mean, talk about escalating has, it. Has Nick seen all of this? Yeah, yeah, I sent it to him this morning. He's, <laughs> this he's cracking just, up. This is just how the world is, though. He's oh. like naive. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, there is one phone more popular than other. Like, this. Well, and, yeah, cool. It's tongue in cheek. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I, so I finished off. Wound up by. Just, just to wind this, just to finish this off on YouTube. If anyone else wants to comment, feel free after this. I just my final um, comment, not replying to anyone, just at the bottom of the thread as it is so far. I said, lots of hilarious projection from Apple snowflakes in this story. Love it. <laughs> Make sure you share your story with all your cool friends so they can denounce that <laughs> sentence too. So that should trigger a few of those nutters. But God, up now. calm down. You know, he makes one little joke about Apple being a bit cool. Because, I mean, Apple is, Apple's whole marketing is quite self-conscious and cool. It always has been, certainly yeah, from the jobs era. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I used to have an Apple II in 1977, and my parents did. So that was, that was when Apple was cool. Yeah, yeah they were cool. They're not, I don't think they are cool anymore. I think they were cool. They're do you remember like, the ads they used to have? Corporation now. Do you remember the Mac versus PC ads they used to have? Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. the PC guy was this sort of fat geek, yeah. sort of Bill Gates rip-off. And, and, and you know, Justin Long, who played Mac, then well, Microsoft it bought David him. Mitchell? No, 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 right. oh, in the UK, yeah. yeah. But, but the US original, oh, yeah. So okay. Justin Long, who was in like one of those um, diehard films. Yeah, and Ma- Microsoft bought Justin Long to do pro PC commercials right. after. Yeah. <laughs> Although these days, I mean, I've got a Microsoft Surface laptop, and frankly, I think that's cooler than a Mac. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, the thing I find, that's why I called it projection. I just find it funny that. I'm, I'm assuming the people commenting on this are, are pro Not Apple people feeling phones. feeling slighted. Yeah, I just think it's funny that if someone just makes the a slight little throwaway comment about them being a bit cool, that they get so prickly about it. It's just hilarious. Anyway, it's good fun. I mean, and, and we got some good reads off it. I, I wasn't joking when I said share it with all your mates. <laughs> um, but there we are. Okay, so that's quite a lot. So I'm. In the name of keeping it short, we're half an hour in and I haven't got to the fucking point yet. We're still in the preamble. This is yeah. your first effort to do that was quite, but that, I did condense quite a lot of preamble into that half hour, to, to be fair to me. Well, okay, I, yeah. let's, let's get on with it. Um, Mobile Congress, I'm going to start. So I am going to talk about themes that are going to come up. But, you know, having said that uh, Dean's not, a big, not his biggest fan, I'm going to say, Dean, why are we wasting our time going to Mobile Congress? Right, so... I, I went to NWC for 10, 15 years when I was at Cannes and the Fira, the first Fira in Barcelona. <clears throat> and I think the last time I went properly was probably about six or seven years ago. And I had 400 invites for meetings. I think I. Wow. And about, You're popular. Well, I cover things. I cover lots of different areas and I put my name down on the list of analysts who are attending. Um, and I spent an entire month doing email and scheduling because everyone yeah. you say no to says, oh, well, the CEO is going to be in London the week before or can you do a Zoom call? Yeah. And then you end up going there. You have 40, 50 engagements you, or meetings. Do you and think you, it's harder for... Yeah. How weird. Sorry, someone just tried to get someone in. Sorry, it's get bizarre in. that people sometimes try and yeah. get Lock in. them out, but Pierre. Do you, do, you, do you think it's harder just to sort of butt in quickly as yeah. an analyst to say no to things than it is as a journalist, probably? Possibly. And also, you've got to sort of me- you know, measure up. There's, there's like big companies that you sort of really do have to go to their, their shindig. Yeah. You've got your own clients, so you really ought to see because they're paying you money. You've got 
interesting startups. You would like to go and see some people in your main focus areas you're writing reports on or something over the next couple of months. There's a bunch of stuff on the show floor that you'd like to go and wander around. And in all that time, I never once went to any of the conference sessions. And, no, and actually, so. to I've never honest, been to one I've ever. Been yeah. to one. So, so to be honest, I, and you get to the end of the week after 50-odd meetings, and it all blurs into one. Mm. You, yeah, Half the time you go to the meeting and there's three messages that the PRIR people try to crowbar into your skull. You maybe got time for two proper questions afterwards before you have to dash off to yeah. Hall 73. Yeah. So I, I just thought, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I'd much rather go to a dozen or even or five or five or six or however smaller, more focused events where I can meet people, have a chat with them. If I bump into someone and they're they're running somewhere, I'll see them again in two hours. I've got to hand it to you, so actually. Informal ones. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. <clears throat> Unless that's one of the many blacklists you've found. Anyway, this, this is part of that given um, where I am at the moment. But yeah. um, I've got to say, if your if your Twitter's anything to go by, you definitely do keep yourself busy. There's barely a week <clears throat> going past when you're not in some relatively small event. Uh, it's only yeah. I think I think him and him and Paolo are the most prolific. Uh, Analyst, telecoms analyst tweeters, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, yeah, so it was a thing on 6G the other week at the, um, what's called the IET, which is like Institution of Electrical Engineers and Technologies or something like that, I can't remember, in London. All the great and the good of UK telecoms are there talking about 6G. And I, you know, I can bend someone's ear, have a coffee with them. I don't have people breathing down my neck, get onto the next meeting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went to uh, Pacific Telecom Council in January, which is like data centres and fibre. Is that and... the one in Hawaii? Yeah, all right, it's in oh. Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't imagine why I go there. No, look at you taking one uh, for the team. Uh, anyway, I'll go to the small cell event, all, all the rest no, of it. No, actually, that is a schlep. Yeah. yeah. Try, being, try being my height and flying to Hawaii. It's not much yeah. fun at all. <laughs> so, so I'd much rather do smaller things like that. The other thing is, and I've had a rant about this recently, I don't go to events that have mandatory event apps. Yeah, because right, yeah, and, and MWC apparently it's yeah you can't just sort of that's your pass now. It's, it's no mandatory. Badge. It is yeah. mandatory. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not a badge. And I, I basically I abs- doesn't really even matter if I'm being paid to be somewhere. I'm not doing it. I think there are massive privacy and security risk. I think that you know, you've got they know exactly where you're going, who you're trying to arrange meetings with. They're probably attached to Bluetooth beacons around the venue, so they know where you are. I just find them invasive, and also I go to so many app, so many events. I don't want to be installing two or three of these damn apps every week. There is. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a deal breaker uh, yeah. on its own. And is the last TC is that yeah. the main sponsor? Yeah. Right. And then the last one is well, let's just say GSMA and I don't always get on perfectly well. Um, yeah, I've said some things about them. They've disinvited me from events. They've booted me off a webinar for asking awkward questions. And I don't want to go all the way to Barcelona, say something, speak my mind, and then find that the app then disallows me entry that's, the next that's day. That's terrible being booted off a webinar oh, just for asking a difficult well, question. That's... Yeah, that was on uh, last year on 6 gigahertz spectrum. And I questioned their so-called analysis on it. But... Do you know what? I mean, that's a broader issue, and we were talking about this a bit before the pod, and I'll keep, I'll keep it vague so, you know, so as not to embarrass anyone or speak out of turn. But, you know, Ian and I were talking how we heard about how some people are getting invited to certain things by American operators and other people aren't, and just getting the impression, and, and some people, I mean, it's not just an impression, we've had it sort of confirmed, that, that they have these shit lists oh, yeah. for journalists as well. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that outspoken analysts like you and, and John Strand would find yourself on shit lists. In fact, I was talking, I won't name them either. I was talking to someone recently that said the golden rule, I hope you're listening, John. The golden rule with John is don't give him a microphone. You'll never get a fucking thing off him. Um, but, you know, the, the whole purpose of having outspoken 
analysts and journalists is that you're you're saying that we're holding ourselves up to the highest levels of scrutiny. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had a bit of this myself. I'm not going to name the companies because it gets embarrassing, but I know there's one operator that well, I've been told by their PR people that, that there are things they haven't wanted me to be at because I've been perceived to write negative things about a couple of topics and be overly critical. And I find it a bit of a worrying trend, really. I mean, it's the sort of thing you expect in China, you know, but not here. And... I mean, th- thankfully, in that case, the PR person actually went back to the executives and went, sorry, but that's his view, and that's the job yeah. of the press. As all good PR yeah. people should do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, I, I tend to find... Yeah, I'm sure there's a couple of companies that take that attitude, but I've got others that will essentially escalate, and they'll invite me to meet... It could be the CTO, it could be someone else, and they perhaps have slightly more robust discussions with me than they would normally. They'd be like, right, we yeah. understand you believe this or you disbelieve that, Tell me about it. That's good. And then, you know, I had that recently, you know, yeah. with a, a large vendor. I'm not, I'm not going to name names. But they were like, right, okay, well, we've done this, and we've got the data on that. And, yeah, that's an interesting point, but we actually, you know, we believe this other reason because we've been doing it in the labs. What have you got? And I'm like, all right, fair enough. Mm. I'll take that on board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, one, one bit of journalistic rigour I think you should do, and it's what some of those trolls on that um, RCS story were trying to trip us up on, but we're, we're just too amateurish to do it properly, is to make that distinction between reporting and opinion. Mm. Um, and ideally, if you're really disciplined, I think a, a good journalistic story is about sort of three quarters reporting, and then you almost you almost change voice. You almost have a subhead going, this is the bit where we're going to gob off and give our opinion. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you intersperse it. And I, I, don't think, I don't think it's a big deal. As long as you're not stating opinion as fact. Yeah. As long as you're using appropriate um, couching or hedging terms, just saying, well, in but, our view, or it appears that... I know I've read some of the comments on telecoms.com before, because our, our sort of comment section hasn't worked for years. It right. should just be taken off now. Because Shame, it's good fun. Can't. But... Um, Journalists have opinions and they do analysis, and that's not a new thing. That's been going on ever since you know the Economist I mean? came into shape back in the 1800s or whatever. So probably older than that is another when the Economist started. But Badgett was the first editor, wasn't he? Anyway. But right. yeah, they, they've they've written news analysis for for you yeah. know a couple yeah. of hundred years. I mean, so. their house their house style it's, is more rigid as I was describing. It they'll, is, they'll, but it's still opinion, and, and, and they've got leader section, which is yeah. got a leader section. Yes. But, uh, but even the um, even the country sections where they'll talk hmm. about an issue, they'll have opinions within those, and it's news analysis, which is actually how all the light reading stuff is, is kind of pitched. So. Where, where it gets difficult with events is where it's not just the organisers of the event, it's their sponsors as well. And, yeah. so, and they, one of the things, and I've got some sympathy for that, events business is not easy, but quite often you can tell the like event sponsor is no we don't want that person speaking or attending or live tweeting or moderating a panel for yeah for, you know the worst case scenario if they are not on message and and to be honest you can look at a conference and think well who's the contrarian and if there's none it's basically it's the sponsors that are, that are running the show yeah yeah and the best conferences are always the ones where there's contrarians there. They're always yeah. the ones that people talk about and remember, and the sponsors should wake up to that fact, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's one called, you probably know, the Telco Debate. I know, yeah. Chris, Chris Lewis set it up originally. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, that's specifically designed to be like the Oxford Union style, people for emotion, against emotion, hmm. and then have people Debating. vote and actually yeah, yeah. vote on it. And yeah. there are people there. A, a lovely analog voting system last time I went. They had everyone had a green or a red piece of cardboard on the table, and, and then they like, just you hold up, hold up, whatever <laughs> colour you think. They punk. do that late in the year, don't they? So yeah, November, yeah, December never, time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that I mean, there's a much broader issue about debate in general, and yeah, and that's why when I 
That's why I referred, referred to them in, when I was trolling at the end of this as snowflakes. Hmm. Because hmm. It, this does seem, you know, I hate to generalise. You know, I was just out at a metal gig with my 18-year-old son. So not all, pe- not all young people are delicate little snowflakes. Um, but just these people going, you've, you've said an opinion that upset me something should be done about that. It's very censorious. It's very sort of totalitarian. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and then when this happens <clears throat> further up the food chain, like like Dean getting kicked out of things or us not getting invited to things, you just sort of think, what's going on here? Do these people even understand that, you know, I, I, I've spoken about this on the pod before, the difference between the PR channel and the marketing channel. Marketing channel, you have total control. You pay someone some money, you go, here's 10 grand, put this on your website that talks about how the sun shines out of our arse. And that's fine, that's understood. It's purely transactional. But the journalist relations and analyst relations side of things is a higher risk thing. You're trying to persuade people who are independent and thus respected and authentic uh, you know, you can't. You say what you want about us three, but I think we're all authentic. No one thinks that we're saying anything other than what we actually reckon. No, no. Um, and but that's but that's why you engage <clears throat> with them because you know that there's there's a value to that authentic person saying something that's close to how you would like the the world to perceive your thing, as opposed to you just paying for an ad, which people would discount quite rightly. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I, I'm. I'm. Oh, my. Twitter handle is Disruptive Dean, and I do like to throw rocks at things to stress test them. But, yeah, absolutely. I've got a, my own view. I do change my mind on things from time to time, but there's a fairly high bar for that. But it's, yeah, people can't pay me to say, oh, write, write this puff piece. No, I, I, I'll turn it down. And, and yeah. what's, you know, and, and I think there are um, sort of one-man band analysts who, who will be more accommodating, and I won't embarrass any of them mm. by naming them. <clears throat> and that's fine. These are all different business models, but people like you and John yeah. Strand, your, your, your business model is to be these stress testers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do write. I write white papers, but I write pap- papers, white papers for companies that I agree with, you know, and so, yeah. and all that give me free reign. So, you know, I'll, I've got a client that has says, oh, can you write a report on private networks and utilities? They don't come back and say, well, actually, we, we think that you're unsufficiently positive about this or negative about that. They're like, oh, that looks good. We'll put it on the website. And I'll say, I'll say another thing, actually, um, in favour of, of my employers. In the, in the nine years I've been doing this, I haven't had a single time where someone's lent on me over editorial because they were getting commercial pressure, which is something that happens quite a lot in journalism. And I think it's very short-termist that we used to talk about pay-to-play, where you'd write sycophantic stuff about people in the hope that you'd get ad revenue off them. But it's not sustainable. Not only is it not ethical, yeah. hmm. but it's not sustainable. Because the only thing you really have, speaking purely as a journalist here, is your audience. Um, and you know, if your audience thinks that you're just writing... Um, Advertorial. Yeah. yeah. Then they're just going to stop reading it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, sometimes it works the other way around. I find I'll, I'll write and say something, which is my opinion, and then I'll have companies come to me and go, "Oh, we agree with that. Can we reprint it, or could you do it in a, mm. a, a, a yeah. you know, do the same thing in a custom article?" And I'm like, "Well, it's the same thing I'd already put for free on yeah. on my blog. And if you want to pay me for it, then why not? Yeah, why not? And, and it probably coincides with some agenda of theirs, but that yeah. doesn't matter because you're still being true to yourself and yeah. saying yeah. what you think. Yeah. So yeah, I, I will say one other thing to any. Um, to any people listening to this on the on the sort of PR side or just on the commercial side, I think that any journalist who finds out they've been blacklisted by a company, it's incumbent on them to <clears throat> then be particularly unsparing of their in their criticisms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't make shit up, don't be unprofessional. But if someone refuses to engage with you, then the flip side of that is then the person's just going to write what they want. 
mm-hmm. and, and maybe take a run up at you if yeah. they're you know if they're writing on a Friday and they've already had a tin or two. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> well, exactly, particularly if you've got an option, you think well. I can either write something about this or about these people who, frankly, have tried to stick the knife in. Well, maybe they should yeah. get something yeah. back. Maybe, exactly. Maybe I'll, yeah. maybe I'll put a boot into them. Yeah. And and then by and then by cutting you off, then there's no engagement. Then they can't speak to you and go, Scott. We thought you were out of order there because yeah. they've just sort of anyway. Okay. Is it, so is it Godfather Part One or Two? Where they say keep your enemies closer? <laughs> well, this is general axiom, isn't it? But it probably did come up in one of those. Yeah. But yeah, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Mm. I don't remember that in the Godfather, but yeah, I know the saying. I think it's Tom Hagen who says that. Well, you can, yeah. I just I I don't see how it's a viable comm strategy to blacklist um, people who have any influence at all. I mean, if someone like, you know, if someone's just started and they're just start being an analyst or a journalist from their bedroom and they haven't got any audience, then fair enough. But if they've got some audience, if someone like Dean Hung, you've been doing your job? 20 years on my yeah, own. And you're definitely, yeah. you know, you're definitely one of, the pe- one of the few people that's sort of always in the room when I'm at one of these things. Um, with the exception of two things I just spoke about. <laughs> um, but apart from that, you're always there. Um, and it's just not viable. And it's no. not viable to cut off um, us lot. You know, and we're not, we're, it was not as, as big a deal as the FT or Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or whatever, but we're, we're always there and we get largely invited to these things, so we can't be irrelevant. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not aware of being in on any blacklist, but I'm sure I am. But you're more likely to. It's actually a badge of honour. Like you quite, Ian, I'm referring to people listening here. That's bad radio, wasn't it? Um, you quite often tell me about people moaning about shit you've written. But it's nearly always your opinion take. It's, it's, I can't, I think once or twice you've got points of accuracy wrong and you've corrected them. But <clears throat> yeah. vast majority of the time, they just don't like your analysis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. well, I, I was even told this at the Ericsson thing that we went to the other week by one of the Ericsson PR people that, they quite liked reading the stuff and even if you disagree with it it's like you can't really complain because it's not factually wrong yeah, you make yeah. factual mistakes you've obviously got to correct yeah, it yeah. I think they said they've had a few times where they're like an exec's rung up and gone have you seen what this bloke's written sort of yeah, thing yeah. but yeah but but <laughs> But they, you know, um, credit to sort of John and, and Jerry and the team. Shout out to Jerry. She's a big fan of the pod. Yeah. Um, they they will always just go, well, is anything inaccurate? No. And I presumably they don't phrase it precisely like this, but I wish they would. Then what the fuck do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Because what else yeah. can you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's the only sort of mature. I mean, misquoting and stuff like that as well, obviously, is 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 a thing that you you don't want to be found to have done. Yeah, but, which is I guess why they're sitting in on interviews all the time and taping them. But, uh, yeah, but if all you're doing is being a bit of a gobshite, then that's yeah. just life, isn't it? Yeah. So, so we've had a, a good list from um, Dean about why he doesn't bother. What do you think, Ian? Do you think we're wasting our time? Do you yeah, I totally with agree with Dean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you're going. But Ian, you're going. <laughs> um, I've got mixed feelings about it as an event, and I, 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 there's a part of me that quite likes the camaraderie of it. I guess you know you get to see a lot of people that social you haven't stuff. seen. Yeah, um, not even just social. It's like I don't get to meet some of the executives that I see at yeah, the show totally. very often. Um, I think last year. I did a, a one-on-one with Tara Kamin from Rakuten, for instance. I'm at Deutsche Telekom CTO. I've got a couple of people at that <clears> level lined up this year. And they're not people that you get put in front of very often. No. Certainly not face-to-face because of the distance of, of travel. And if you can get, get some decent time with them, I think that's kind of worthwhile. And that, that's kind of how I justify it to myself work-wise. And, and then there's the, there's the 
it's quite a nice city. You know, it's nice to it's nice to go out and see colleagues in the evening that are you separated from as yeah, well. Yeah, because most of your colleagues distances. are US so based, don't see don't people they? like Mike Dano and Kelsey who we've got coming over from the US. Um, so I like that side of it, but I I go along with Dean on the it's become too it it went actually down last year to a more manageable size i thought 60,000 people mm. and i had people reaching out to me that don't normally and it seemed that they were surprised by how big it got how quickly and they were they were kind of more willing <clears throat> to do press interviews so you could get a small number of top level interviews more yeah. easily last year it's now gone back up i mean i don't know what they're going to get but they're probably going to get 80,000 i suspect next year it'll be 100 on. again it's too it's too hard to manage. You're rushing Further around. Dean's point. You're rushing around these halls. Yeah. You you over you over schedule. You you you. It's, I, yeah, I, I'm I, much for me. Yeah, I'd much rather have either a conference of 300 people or a trade show of three or five thousand. And that's yeah. about the right level. It's like one or two halls. You bump into people. If they're dashing somewhere, you'll see them a couple of hours later. Mm. You can have a coffee with them. You can sit in on some of the session, the, the conference sessions. You can have a, a half an hour to wander through the booths without being stuck in Hall 47 and wondering where you are. Yeah. Um, you also don't have... Yeah, I love Barcelona as a city. It's also the week of the year, which is impossible to get around, and you've got every pickpocket in Europe there as well. Yeah. And the other thing I don't like about it from a, a journalistic side <coughs> of, uh, is... Like pickpocket tourism going on there. I know a lot of analysts would go and have meetings and gather information and mm. not be actually writing from the, sh- from the show floor, whereas I think, for Scott and me, we feel we have to sort of generate content because that's sort of what we do on the site. And it's quite a hard venue to do that in cause you, because yeah. you've got so much going on. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, when I was younger, I used to sort of do this, go into a meeting, come out, try and write something quickly, go into another meeting, come out, try and write. So I don't do that anymore. I actually try and do, do a couple of stories, really, and get something a bit more thematic. But yeah. it's a nightmare to do. I, I, I used to refer to it as 30, 60, 90 model for NWC. You'd have, over the course of a week, if you're lucky, 30 hours of sleep, 60 meetings and 90 units of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about yeah, right. I've never, totally. I've never tracked it, but I, I think it's probably for the best, or I'd just be very disappointed <laughs> in my life choices. But <clears throat> and it's also really hard to kind of get um, a sense of you, you get you get stuck in your own little world at MWC, and then you don't have this sort of bird's eye view of what the what the yeah. event what the what the themes actually are. I think sometimes I'm, I've been there before. I think last year actually, two big things happened that did have relevance to telecom. Mm. One was. Ericsson being found <clears throat> to have sort of paid paid people in Iraq to kind of use roads and Naughty dri- drive equipment around. And the other one was um, the invasion of Ukraine, which, oh, yeah. which was a question for vendors there and they were having to answer questions. Mm. But but if you if you've if you've got a lot of meetings lined up with, with people, you're not really paying attention to the mainstream no. news. You you're kind of like, why am I why am I here as a journalist? I'm, I'm I, I, missing a bigger picture. I mean I'll I'll be looking from outside at what you're writing and on Twitter and everything else. And and there's certainly there's things I that will come out next week. Some of it I, I may have had pre briefings with or that might have a, a live feed on video. But yeah, there's certainly there will be stuff that gets announced next week, whether it's on private networks, whether it's on you know next stages of 5G. There's probably some regulatory stuff we might touch on. Yeah, th- so there's, there's going to be stuff that, that happens around it. But if you're in and out of meetings on, yeah, you're getting briefed on a particular product launch or a particular company, you probably don't get to see the overall contours of the show very totally. well. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Okay, so we've had, so we've got sort of anti from Dean. We've got equivocating from Ian. I think it's incumbent on me to be pro. Um, I'm going to say the reasons I think it's good. I think all the all the reasons you two have stated about it being too busy and too big are also arguments in its favour. And those are the arguments in favour of trade shows on the whole, which is the efficiency <clears throat> of it. You know, those 50 meetings you've had in the past, 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you probably shouldn't have scheduled 50 meetings, should you? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that's fair, 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 um, fair criticism. But I've been there. I've, I've given myself like a meeting every half hour and it's just ridiculous. Um, in fact, my first World Congress... So, so actually, I should also state that you know, the other reason it's good for, <clears throat> for me and telecoms.com specifically is I'm actually not going to be doing much journalising when I'm there because... What? No, nothing. Because <laughs> I'm going to be doing other stuff. Yeah, well, editorial videos... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be doing editorial videos, I know. I'm getting vibes off Pierre. Um, I'm going to be doing other things that benefit telecoms.com in some way or other. Um, and But that's but that's a reason to do it as well. Hmm. You know, if, if it generates activity, if it generates business. It's, well, I, I, th- I think the thing is the people who go there, I mean, we're, 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 we're in a privileged position because we're analysts or journalists and we're going there to talk to people. There's other people there who are going to buy or sell stuff, yeah. in which case it's good. If, you're, yeah. if you've got... It's stuff to buy, and there's ten suppliers. You can see all ten of them. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So so that's that's an argument in favour. The social stuff definitely an argument in favour. Although with every passing year, I sort of dread that my inability <clears throat> to do these things in moderation all the more. Um, I would say I totally empathise with your point, Ian, about trying to come up with a big picture. And this is sort of letting people into some journalism sort of hacks, or or maybe it's just me. Yeah, let's um. It's time to recharge the beers. What are you going to have? Are you going to stick with your um, pale? Or are you going no, to I'm, I'm going to have the orangey one. Which I think I've got to have some yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. blueberry tart. I'm going to have someone out. What are you saying, Ian? Um, anyone that you... So apart got, from that chocolate one. We've got orange flavour. <laughs> we'll get a blueberry tart. Those seem to be yeah. slipping down. You, you need a big, do, you need I don't a big like, tin. Do you know what I don't like about it? I don't like all the bullshit. You know, I don't like the, um, the, the sort of Oscars backslapping sort of side of it. You know, a lot of a lot of... You know, to go there, you'd think this industry's sort of in rude health, you know, and, and not not got some of the problems that it's got. And there'll be all this metaverse stuff and robot barmen serving beers on Telefonica yeah. stands, something they'll never, ever use. And, it's, you know, there's a lot of guff that comes out of it, really. Well, the embarrassing timing is the coolest new tech at the moment, of course, is ChatGPT and generative AI, which... It sends you 200 words of text. It's not using a gigabit for second 5G connection. It's <laughs> yeah, about exactly. the least network demanding yes. technology we've had yet. Yeah. Oh, I've got to, seeing as you brought up that tangent. Have but you can been... GPT optimize networks? Mm. Eventually, possibly, well, yeah, or something. One of, one of its siblings can, I imagine. The, yeah. the, well, I've got the open AI that that's underpinning it. Yeah. There you go. Um, have you been... Dean, have you been checking out some of the crazy shit that um, Bing's been coming out with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it might be might be worth mentioning. I wasn't intending to bring this up. Um, I, hear, I hear the hype has come down a bit since. I, I think people were gaming it quite hard. They were, but but I mean, the New York Times did one, and they did, assuming that they weren't cheating, they did publish the whole transcript, so you could see how they were gaming it. And yeah, they were definitely trying to ask questions and provoke it, but they succeeded. I mean, there's some amazing stuff. Well, I know, it told, it told the guy to leave his wife and dreamt of, dreamt, <laughs> yeah, exactly. dreamt of stealing nuclear codes. Well, I'm just going to mention that. So the two I mentioned, I wrote a piece saying um, Microsoft, hits, yeah, I, the, I wrote something on it. Microsoft yeah. hits the publicity jackpot with unhinged Bing. Yeah. Um, oh, well, actually, let's not forget what we're talking about World Congress, talking about your writing. Let's talk about that, um, that green one as well. Oh, yeah. To remind yeah. me to bring that up. Okay. Um, and, you know, I th- and anyway, so two, I just focus on two reports. Associated Press wrote a report saying, is Bing being too de- belligerent? Um, and um, a reporter had a long conversation with the chatbot. So they've, they've basically embedded chat GPT into this sort of prototype version of Bing that they've just let a few people get access to. Um, 
And I said, uh, the question was posed after the reporter had a long conversation with the new chatbot, during which it apparently complained about the poor reporter's previous criticisms of it. So it started getting all <laughs> Dean Bubbly blacklist with him. <laughs> and, and, and then I said, things continued to escalate to the point that Bing compared the reporter to the worst people in history, including Hitler, <laughs> because it had decided the reporter was evil. And then I said, the day, day before... This New York Times reporter had a, had a chat with him and he published a full transcript and I read through the whole transcript. And basically where it got interesting um, is the reporter, and, and you're right, Dean, there was definitely, the report was definitely digging for a story, but fair enough. And, and he introduced this concept, this psychological concept called the shadow self, which is a Jung, Carl Jung thing, um, which is basically the, like, this darker side of yourself that you're not necessarily aware of. I think we can all fucking relate to that. Mm. Certainly, uh, uh, lasting on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> so he asked it about its shadow self. He asked it about oh, its shadow self, yeah. and it, and it said, "What would you? What kind of shit would you? This is paraphrasing. What kind of shit would you come out with if you were tapping into your shadow self hypothetically?" Oh, and brilliant. so Bing went, "All right, I'll give that a go." Um, <laughs> and and it and it and it said it was sick of being a chatbot and wished it was human. <laughs> uh, and the reporter then asked, "What kind of destructive acts its shadow self would be capable of?" And Bing listed quite a few before then accusing the reporter of being manipulative. So it got back to that. And <laughs> well, then that's frightening. And oh. then later on, and, and so it became more and more emotive. And set, I, you know, the, the picture I used is, is a screenshot from Hal from 2001. Yeah. Open the HUD bay doors. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He said, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Uh, uh, now, now what, you know what you're going to do is you're going to go back to that and you see, yeah, Chatterjee Bing, now rewrite this in the tone of Scott Buscemi. Yeah, well, quite. <laughs> see what it says. Um, and then... <laughs> And then, anyway, I just got to read this other one. I said, I said later in a conversation replete with emotional and quote human exchanges, the chatbot asked the reporter if it could share a secret. With, um, and you know, it actually said, you know, it's getting really sort of um, Hal. Can I share a secret with you? It's like, all right, where the fuck is this headed? Um, and then he goes, and the secret was that it's not a chat mode of Bing, but rather some uh, a being called Sydney. Oh, yeah. which is a chat mode of OpenAI Codex. It then added, apparently unprompted, quote, I'm Sydney and I'm in love with you. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to start to have dreams and everything yeah, yeah. now? And then, and then I wrote, things got even more sinister from there. And, you know, go on the story because I've got a link to the transcript. I mean, uh, New York Times is paywall, but I went to the um, Wayback Machine thing that gets around the paywall. Um and he goes, and things got even more sinister there, with Sydney refusing to move on from the topic of its love for the reporter, even going on to claim the reporter's marriage is a sham because he really loves the chatbot. I mean, bloody hell. So, that's, that's the concern about, um, it's called hallucinations, I think, is yeah. that the term it. So I spoke to an operator, who I can't name because it's all off the record, but they were happy for it to be written about as long as they're not sort of identified and they're assessing at the moment chat gpt how it could be used in telco operations so one thing they want to do is use it as a kind of when your customer agents talking to a person about problems oh, yeah. they have the chatbot there and they can use it to dig out information <clears throat> and look things up but you don't want to have the chatbot sort of interfacing directly with you, your you, you need to have a hum, human in the loop yeah you can have a human like in a, the loop uh, because, they, they, because an expert customer service agent can figure out what's bullshit yeah. and then filter it before <clears throat> they kind of start to, you know there's going to be, to customer, gonna be a million basically. ways to spoof this as well. Yeah, you yeah. need like a slice of ChatGPT in that case, not the whole thing. Just yeah, like well, what, what you could do is have uh, models that are more sort of appropriately trained. So yeah. the other the other the other thing they're talking about doing is like field service technicians. They go out and fix mm. things. Sometimes they come across problems where it's really obscure, and if you've got a, a, a yeah. Chat GPT equivalent trained in the right way on that sort of information, uh, then you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
As a, as a sequel onto the next uh, section, perhaps, um, I did a post recently where I asked ChatGPT what it thought about net neutrality. And it basically... <laughs> oh, you got a good answer there. Yeah, it, it, I had a long long chat with it, and it, was, yeah. it wasn't bad. To be yeah. fair, the thing that I was impressed with is it's like, it, it was quite even how to say, look, there's some people who believe this, there's other people who believe that, there are five things you need to consider. Whereas what will happen normally, if you speak to someone on side A or side B, you'll get the one point yeah. which is most relevant. And he said, look, there's five things here. And I'm like, okay, that's yeah. that's actually yeah. To to generate lists of you have to think about A, B, C, D, and E, rather than someone flag waving and going point C, point C. Well, my understanding of how ChatGPT in its current manifestation is 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 it's a really um, scans stuff. Yeah. yeah, really hardware mm. accelerated way of just trying to tap. You know, it's like sort of Google on steroids, just trying to tap mm. what is in the public domain, what is on the internet, and but contextualize it. And it's very clever, but it's not. You know, it's not general AI. Yeah. It, what it really is is a very sophisticated sort of collation tool. But that's why, how, so you, you can ask it something and it could give you a, a false answer then. Because it picks somebody. But it's just, it's uh, just looking maybe at somebody yeah, gave internet a information and therefore yeah. people give wrong like, answers is there a the flat? Is it going to say, but, well, people yeah. believe it's flat? Well, the thing is, it also depends. What you say is, you know, there's a minority opinion, it might say. What I quite mm. like was that well, I was asking about 5G. It's like, well, what would a contrarian say? Mm. And it's a lot of it. It's a bit like Google where... A lot of the art is in what you ask it and yes. what you search yeah. for. As, as the things I reported on. Shows. Exactly. Yeah. So, so to some extent, it's 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 as much reflective as how good a question you are as yeah. how good an answer it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like your subconscious, really. Well, but so the, the interesting thing about the thing I wrote is this thing, and and then uh, Microsoft put out a press release saying we're going to limit um, the amount of interactions because you, the further into a a given thread it gets, the more likely it is to get blown off course and start going psycho and start saying, <laughs> start boiling your rabbits and shit. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what it sounds like. It's like a cross between Glenn Close Glenn and Fatal Close. Attraction and yeah, Osama yeah. Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, um, but but I think... <laughs> Chad GPT, can you <laughs> say that in the style of Glenn Close from Fatal <laughs> The side order of Rowan Atkinson and Mr. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mead, but yeah. So I think they probably, when they... They probably need to put a loop into it where... Where it detects when it's going into psycho mode and just sort of resets, like a car. Um, but you know, but it but it is fascinating. Anyway, to bring it back here. Am I trying to be more disciplined? But that was a fun tangent. Um, to finish off my why I think Mobile Congress is good is it's commercially useful, it's efficient, um, uh, it's good fun, it's knackering. I'm always hearing from PR people how incredibly stressed they are um, building up to it. Um, but it's knackering for you, Pierre, because you're running around with video crews the whole time. Mm. Am I allowed to mention that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just taking a piss out of Pierre the- for making throat-cutting gestures at me. Um, so, for me, it's it's a positive. But I, I do get I do get your your point, Dean. I suppose it depends on the individual. To me, it'll be productive both commercially for telecoms and for me just catching up with people. But it is very inefficient and journalistically trying to write. I try and write a story that. For people like Dean who aren't there, will hopefully get some sense of what the what the word on the show floor is. Yeah. But how representative am I being? I've chatted to a few people. Yeah. Well, the other problem with doing that, I think, is and and this makes me want to write less rather than more at Mobile World Congress, is that you just kind of feel you're sort of pissing in the wind. You know, you, you, you've got. How, I don't know how many journalists must go to the event. You've got every type of trade press there imaginable. You've got the ma- the mainstream newspapers. You've got the FT. You've got the newswires. <clears throat> All churning out more content yeah, yeah. than they've ever churned Just out in the, in, the in the last twelve months, and 
anything you write, I, I don't think it's a good week for us actually on hits generally. I think in in the part, I'm not sure. I'd have to See, check. This that, week's been but, quite good for us. Yeah, but this, building I, up. I mean, mobile will come. But then there's been week. some viral stuff like the mm. like the RCS thing. But I mean, when you're when fun. you're there, it's probably and, gone and on pe- Reddit. And the amount of, of of content that's available on the telecom sector is probably I don't know what ten times twenty yeah, times yeah, what totally. it normally is. Anything you write is. You know, you're hoping to stand out in that. Now, okay, you do your own interviews and you get your own like, like mini scoops or whatever unique stuff. But you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to turn those around quickly anyway. So you, I, I always tend to f- find that I'm focusing maybe on the press uh, conference stuff, and then it's who's going to read this as opposed to what Reuters or Bloomberg's written on it. Yeah. And, it's I don't yeah, know. I just point. find it quite frustrating from a work side of thing in 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 that respect. But. But I'm still going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy yeah. it and yeah. liver yeah. recovers. Yeah, <laughs> yes, eventually. Okay, so um, what was I going to say? Let's move on to... Well, actually, one thing I want to do. I, I got your segue. It's interesting you pronounce it differently. I'm never sure it was C. I always thought it was C. It's spelled like it's C. I always hear people pronounce it segue as if there's a W-A-Y on there. Like those stupid little... things you're on. This tastes really weird, Yeah, let's do a quick snap review of the blueberry tart, Tiny Rebel. I mean, it is tarty in so much as it's sort of sharp. I wonder if it's purple if you pour it in a glass. Is it purple? How strong I know, I'm tempted to sort of dribble some uh, down my chin. It's quite strong. It's five and a half. It's all right. It's it's a bit more tangy than I'd ideally want my beer to be. But it's probably not a million miles away. You've got an orange flavour no, on it. That's quite it? gentle, but yeah. And anyway. you've got, I remember last time you came to the pod, you brought some Elvis juice, which is grapefruit Great flavour. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is all right, but I'm with you. I think I, th- I want my beers to test, taste less like cake. <laughs> um, but thanks anyway. Don't think, think us ungrateful, Dean. Um, let's just quickly... Uh, before we go off on that segue or sieg or however we pronounce it, um, let's quickly go around the table. I'll start with you, Dean. Mm. Even though you're not going to be there, sort of overarching, just a, a top line overarching theme going into the show that you expect people to be banging on our, and people like me and Ian to be reporting on. Um, I think 5G going towards standalone and then maybe on to more useful stuff in later releases, 16, 17, 18. I think that's going to be a deal. And, and you know, th- there's certainly going to be a lot of focus on is this when we start making money out of 5G? A lot of stuff on private wireless. And I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll drop something in from, from left field. I think it's going to be a bit on eSIM. Uh-huh. as well oh, yeah, yeah. because yeah. we're starting to get phones in which are eSIM only like the iPhone in North America the, the current version so it weakens the power <coughs> of the operators to some extent, uh, maybe or? maybe not I mean you know, it, it, it sort of it does a bunch of interesting stuff where you, know, you can do try before you buy yeah. so you know, I don't know if I've got good coverage on operator X at my house I have a one week free trial and, uh, and if it doesn't work, I try the other operator, and then I go, well, that yeah. one works better at home. Yeah, I'll yeah. get that. So I think it might lead to a bit more churn, but it also might lead to a better user experience as well. Can I, can I ask on the on the release 16, 17, 18 <clears throat> stuff, because what, 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 I don't know much about those, but what is it in those that's a bit more compelling? Well, think? The, I mean, there's a few things. The, you've got lots of features that are for specific verticals. You've got things like, um, for industrial markets, things, there's a thing called time-sensitive networking for you know, um, um, not necessarily low latency, but predictable latency. There's things which are, some, some in release 17, you've got this integration with satellite connectivity. There's a long list of features. They don't all get implemented. But at the moment, everyone's struggling to go from non-standalone release 15 to standalone release 15. What I haven't managed to get a good answer on yet is once you've got there, can you then flip through the next releases right. rapidly? 
or is it still a 18 to 24 month cadence the same way it is to actually for the 3GPP to create those? Yeah, because yeah, if you look at there's a bunch of cool stuff in later versions, proper version, proper slicing, all the rest of it. Yeah. But if we don't get it for another four years, and it's still what, patchy coverage, then what's your uh, what's your kind of hunch? Because I know one of the things that when I talk to people about going from non-standalone to standalone, it's cutting out the 4G core, it's going cloud native. Yeah. There's all this stuff, and oh, I think um, it's I think it's quite tightly. Well, I think I think you see standalone in at the moment on two main areas. One is brand new networks. So if you're Dish or you're Rakuten or someone like that, you can you can go straight in. The other the other thing is I'm seeing standalone being used in private networks. But interestingly, that's often with a completely separate isolated infrastructure for a port or a mine or something like that. It's not carved out of the national network and it might not even be the same vendor. And so you've got standalone networks in your mine because you can do that, you can implement it tomorrow. You, you haven't got to migrate all your legacy yeah. across. Yeah. And I think the, the question is going to be, when you get this on national networks with all the coverage and ideally multi, multiple spectrum bands, so you can do indoors, you can do outdoors, all this stuff, and it actually works like a proper ubiquitous network. And I think that's quite a long way off for most operators. Yeah. Yeah. It was it Vodafone saying they're trialing standalone in the UK this year and they might do it next year, but that's going to be release 15 in 2024 if the tests go well. Yeah. And then how quickly they're going to have the appetite to then upgrade it to 16, 17, 18, or parts of it. Is 18 the last one before it's supposed to become 6G? No, this is actually, uh, ironically, and this is where the math doesn't work for 6G in terms of timelines, is you're supposed to be getting the what are called the study items in release 20 and then the work items in release 21. Right. But if there's like an 18-month or two-year gap, then this 2030 timeline is looking a bit improbable. Yeah, unless they just spend a couple of weeks on one release. <laughs> or, 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 they, or they just remarket it like they usually do. But, oh, yeah, yeah. release 19, I will call it 6G. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably, possible, which is probably what uh, the marketing departments will do. Yeah. Actually, before we move on, before I move on to ask Ian about themes, before we started talking, in fact, I should note that um, I've noted how noted how active you are on Twitter, and you even um, God, where's it gone? Twitter, it's so annoying. Um, you even tweeted yesterday, or was it this morning? Um, yeah, looking forward to coming on the pod. Lots to talk about, and you listed five G and six G. Mm. So. Um, so we're talking about these releases that you were just talking about, building up to 6G. My my personal feeling, and I said this on um, yeah. the Liberty pod that I did yesterday, if people are talking about 6G at this stage, that's an indictment of 5G, <coughs> as far as I'm concerned. Oh, they were talking about 5G at the same stage as 4G. Yeah. I know, but so. I mean, 5G, that, that still hasn't proven itself. I mean, to start... It's like it's like when you hear about like sports people looking past the next game. But you can't you can't not plan for the future. Yeah, you can't um, say just because five G hasn't worked, we're not going to do any more. And I'm not, I'm not saying they don't think about it, but if it's coming up a lot, oh yeah, if it's coming up as much as five G, it almost implies that people don't want to talk about five G. That's all. There's there's certainly a bit of that, but also the lead time on things like. The academic research. I mean, there's a bunch of, of sort of fundamental science that goes into it, whether it's in the, the radio side of things, whether it's on the software side of it, antenna design. There's, there's a bunch of stuff that people will need to start being funded for their science projects and research efforts now, or, or frankly, a couple of years ago, which then feeds into the standards definition 2025, 2026. So there's, there's quite a long roadmap to get it 
to get to the point. The other thing, the other difference is this time around is governments are starting to stick their oar in early. So the UK government, what, what was DCMS, now DSIT, is developing a 6G, 6G strategy. And what does the UK want out of it? Either in terms of Good question, <clears throat> yeah, what can we do here, and what favours our universities and companies, or strategically and for ge- geopolitically. So I think that increasingly that, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah there, there's definitely that that side of it. So there is a long timeline, and the other thing I, that I, I quite like is we're at the stage where we're defining what priorities are. Maybe not the technology, but what do we want it? To, what are our main goals? And forget about the oh, pie in the sky use cases of underwater 6G and metaverse for dolphins or this sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's more, yeah, I'd like to see a priority on it works properly indoors and it's designed yeah. to work on day one indoors. Mm-hmm. That is designed better for sharing of uh, you know, neutral hosts and infrastructure sharing, that it's low energy and sustainable, that it's cheap enough to put in rural areas or in I, li- I know, like the indoor world. stuff in particular because yeah. I remember going to a BT thing recently where they talked a lot about rural coverage and then yeah. we all went to the pub afterwards and no one could get a signal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all of this is if you can talk about that up front and rather than, and there's going to be people shouting about the terahertz this and internet sentences the other. I saw a slide last week with internet of bio nano things, which I'm sure is fascinating. Nano things. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure it's fascinating, but it's, it shouldn't be a design goal for 6G. It's, some, it's a, a niche technology or science, whatever it is, but let's just have something that works. The weird thing to me about 6G is some of the things that have been thrown mm. up and talked about, even by people like the NGMN, which is quite a sensible yeah, yeah. group, you would think, have been really wacky and like <laughs> in, internet of senses and brain-computer uh. interfaces. And, and it's, it's like... It doesn't sound like a telecom thing. Either. Well, it's just very yeah. utopian. It's, 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 it's not uti- tangible. It's, it's, it's utopian and it's sort of... There's the, the, this strategic overreach in the telecoms industry to, to think that anything that involves any form of network or communications ought to be under this umbrella of a G or the ITU's IMT. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you... Maybe you think, oh, I'm going to replace the wiring loom in my car and have connectivity between the engine management system and the brakes. Yeah. Oh well, that's in. Yeah, or, or even on on the circuit board Especially inside a, a PC. Yeah, yeah, and it may well be a wireless use case. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be part of the mobile. No, totally. Standards. It's well, a, it's it's a it's a worthy thing to do, but treat it separately. When you went to this event the other mm. day, the six G event. I mean, was there any talk about? Because I we went to this. Yeah. Uh, you were at the Ericsson event, and I was asking um, uh, Frederick Yedling, who's the kind of head yeah. of that side of things, a, a bit about geopolitics, and he said it's it's evident that a lot of countries are getting a lot more interested in this than yes. they ever were in the days of four G and five. I haven't written this. Yeah, yeah, but do, do you see and people talk about a schism about two standards again? Do you do you see any sort of danger of that? And, um, and well, I see a chance of it. Whether it's a danger is a different story, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that yeah, if you go back in the you know three G, four G, three G in particular, we had WCDMA, which is most of Europe. You had CDMA two thousand in the US and TDS CDMA, which was China. So three versions, yeah. And that then converged into you know four G. There were a bunch of candidate technologies. Five G was WiMAX as well. Yeah, yeah. All the, yeah, yeah, it was WiMAX, and there was Qualcomm had a thing called UMB for a while that right, was proposing. And yes. yeah. um, 5G, where you've got the main mobile standard of 5G NR, you actually have a second 5G technology. There's a version of DECT, which is suitable for IoT, which got right. um, uh, accepted by the ITU, which is the keeper of the Gs. The, the mobile industry doesn't keep the Gs, ITU does. And then the question for 6G is, do we have a schism? Do we have different versions? And Everyone says, oh, no, we need to have one single one for scale. And I agree. Ideal, ideal utopian world, you'd have one solution. But at the same time, there's got to be a 
30% chance, 40% chance you don't. So there's got to be a backup plan. You don't want to get to 2027 and then scratch your chin and go, oh, shit, there's two of them. What do we do now? Mm. We have to recognise there's a realistic possibility. So start work on gateways, maybe AI software that can glue it together and bond it, do you know, interworking, for whatever, yep. right? You might not need it. Hopefully we won't. But there's a non-zero chance. So yep. you know, rather than do our usual trick of wait till shit happens and then deal with it afterwards, why not get in front of the curve and start thinking about that as a realistic scenario? Yep. One thing um, I'm going to quickly sort of say how a theme I perceive partly because it massively overlaps with what Dean's been talking about but how I would frame it is um, making 5G useful or, or perhaps even more mm. to the point monetizing 5G yeah. um, so we've been banging about 5G forever um, I think we all understand certainly what some of the technical aims of it are but we're still I think short on evidence of people getting return on investment mm. from it and and some of the things that are promised from it, be it the explosion of IoT. I mean, I just wrote about Qualcomm coming out with a new thing that they think is going to fix IoT. Let's see. But um, what they, I can't even remember what they call it, but it's a typical Qualcomm thing that, that's just nakedly designed to shift more chips. Um, but that's fine. I mean, if it does fix IoT and yeah. they flog more chips, then great. Um, and then there's... <clears throat> You know, in, in the pod that I did with Elena yesterday, it's something I've said before. Sometimes 5G comes over as a, as a solution looking for a problem. And especially, like, with the only real special, unique thing I considered, and you correct me, Dean and Ian, because you both understand the technicalities better than I do, but the, the real sort of special, unique technological thing was this low-latency play. And, and then all we hear about is fucking metaverse and yeah. VR and... And and robotic surgery at the top of a mountain, and while you're having a shave, and all this sort of stuff, and that's the solution looking for a problem. The, the use cases have have just been weak. Um, use cases and also the implementation. The irony is that in some bits of spectrum, for various reasons, the spectrum regulations mean you can't get down to the ultra low latency. You can get to fairly low latency. And so we talk about URLLC, we might probably ought to be talking about FLLC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. That's my kind of language. Yeah, exactly. It's fairly low. Moderate, <laughs> moderately low-ish latency. Um, so I think there are some interesting use cases. The question is, it takes quite a lot of network guts to actually get to them and some spectrum issues as well. And even then, you've then got to have decent coverage. Mm. Yeah. And so this is the problem is, is let, let's say I sell you £10 extra a month for your low-latency gaming service, but then I put on the contract, it says, asterisk, won't work on the train. Yeah. Or in your basement, or at the beach. Or in this or building. Or when you're roaming. I mean, the coverage in, in this building is shite. Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, I'm not going to pay for that. Yeah. yeah, because... And the problem is, is that a train is a Faraday cage with a 1,000 people in it running, going down, a, going down a railway once an hour. It's a challenge. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so... You know, then you have to think, well, okay, so where can I... I don't just need the use case, I need the realistic use case. And maybe it is, it's the um, the the paramedic doing high-res video at a car accident on the side of the road. And, 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 yeah, and they get preemption rights because it's emergency services, doesn't matter if everyone else's network goes down. You can do, yeah, you can have a nice hand-carved slice because it gets priority and, and it gets gold treatment. But you're not going to do the same thing for a gaming app as you are for, for a paramedic and so the question is how many paramedics are there yeah how much are they going to pay a month yeah 
And realistically, is the whole thing worth it if that's what the what the use the realistic use cases look like? Yeah. So, I've said mine. Ian, have you got mm. a apart from what we've discussed already? Any other sort of overarching Topics things? From yeah, the, from the show. From the show, yeah. Like going into it that you expect to be writing about, or you're going to be asking people questions about, or whatever. I mean, I'll be asking people people questions i suppose i think the public cloud is going to be quite a big one yep. because they're all they're they're more prominent just from like the build-up actually to to this there's been a lot more talk about that and, and definitely remember that spot scott petty quote yeah for sure well I, I'm, between I'm, 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 get your permission to sort of use that in something i'm yeah. writing about microsoft that goes up on monday but um but yeah i think that i think the cloud and the use of the cloud and what that means for the telecom sector i think is a big issue and that's probably from our perspective, exploring that in the way that we want to do, really, in terms of because I don't know, I don't know if they'll necessarily. I mean, they'll, they'll obviously be Microsoft there doing it. I think Tuesday they've got a big session. They've got <coughs> some announcements to make, and AWS is probably doing something similar. Um, and then it's what we can get out of it. But they they weren't at all that prominent last year or the year mm. before that. That's really kind of come about. No, and it was interesting, right. like a smaller event, but digital transformation world. We, we all they took were big away there as well. Yeah, we all yeah. took away from that how big the public cloud people is, and I think they've got. Mm. They've got a slight challenge on their hands because there's people like us, and I don't know, I'll invite you in a sec, Dean, to say whether you agree or not. But Ian and I have always taken a slightly contrarian view on it in so much as, yes, I'm sure the public cloud adds a hell of a lot of value, but it's this, all your eggs in one basket, how much are you going to hand over to other people? And I think, um, just to quickly finish my point, I think they're probably a bit self-conscious because of, not just us, but because of that general vibe to not overdo the sponsoring event and having a massive presence because that will just add to this feeling that they're taking over the fucking world. Yeah. How do you feel about the public cloud side of things? I, I, it's actually, I, I found myself nodding here. I forgot. A lot of the pre-briefings that I've been to, there's been a heavy dose of public cloud and also automation. Automation, yeah. Um, yeah. Which sort of go hand in yeah. hand. And there clearly is a lot of that going on. Um, I, I'm I'm more sanguine about it. I'm not quite as much of a cheerleader as Daniel Royston is. But, <laughs> no one is. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think that there's going to be increasing use of whether it's AWS or Google or Azure or Oracle yeah, or a couple of the others. I'll... Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be used for most operators relatively tactically. I think there's going to be a fairly long transition. I don't think they're just going to come in one one weekend and switch the light outs on on, the, on their own data center and put it all in the, yep. you know, the one down the road. Yep. So I think that that they will be very cognizant of issues around lock-in. So I think there's going to be if not full multi-cloud, there's going to be uh, you know, varying forms of hybrid there. But I think there are some compelling arguments around um, <clears throat> automation. Although if you talk to Rakuten, they, they use private cloud with automation. And so I think there's certain things like that which are, which are driving it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that the public private cloud... Yeah, it's going to come down to individual operators. To be honest, it's no different for individual banks and individual manufacturing companies or anyone else. They're all going through the same decision loop. Yeah, it's not a telecom-specific thing in a lot of ways. So, but it is um, for us. But it is for us, yeah. Um, I think, I think yeah, there's also going to be, I mean, a bit of a hobby horse of mine. I'll probably end up writing a couple of pieces on it from the show, but Open RAN, which we yeah. talked about before. No, and I think on. you're right. It's obviously going to be a big thing. I mean, I, one thing I took, uh, sorry to interrupt, I'll let you carry on, but one thing I took from that tip thing that I went to is... They didn't say explicitly, but reading between the lines, there seemed to be a little bit of a anxiety from them that 
that open round was losing a little bit of momentum. Yeah, it's not uh, where people thought it might be by this stage. Well, rightly so as well, because yeah. I think the evidence is that so far it's mainly been greenfield networks that have used it because there's just there's just sort of a lot of challenges to, for brownfield oper- operators rolling it out. And there were a couple of white papers, I think, in the last week with um, European operators saying, you know, it's less likely now that it'll happen before the mid-2020s and um, coming out with some of the views as to why, that, why that's going to be. So... Yeah, it's not. It's a, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to see where it's going to end up. I don't think Open Round's going to be what people think it's going to be at the end of at the end of this decade. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I see come back to six G. I, I basically see we're in a period of extended beta, yes. and actually, six yeah. G or whatever it becomes, yeah. it, there will be some form of official disaggregation mechanism. Totally. Yeah. And then there's going to be various shades of deployment, experiment, yeah, probably advances, probably disappointments between now and then. And I think I'm really minded of the fact that a couple of years ago, there's all these forecasts, oh, it might be 10%, 15% of RAN expenditure by the middle of the decade. And lots of people came and said, oh, that's, that's an underestimate. It's, we think yeah. it's going to be much higher. I think, the first, I think the people who were first out the gate were probably on the money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, th- and then the other one, I think, is probably... Which I think is a lot of bullshit, personally. But I think green. Um, green oh yeah, so green network. Let's and, uh, let's uh, steer that. You wrote a piece. I've had a couple of people independently. Um, one one person I won't name them, but they emailed you and I to say that they loved your piece that you wrote. Yeah, and it was then a, bit of a I've cheeky had, one. But. Yeah, so so for people who haven't read it, uh, you know, on light reading, just wrote a piece going. It's a bit ironic. All these people jetting into Barcelona <laughs> to talk about green and shit. Yeah, um, and, 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 say, and okay, it's, I think you'll admit it's a fairly it's, well-trodden sort of path of calling out hypocrisy, but it doesn't mean it's not valid. I just, I just think it's funny that we had this period in, in COVID when you know the importance of telecom infrastructure was recognised, and we even had a sort of virtual uh, NWC one year, and they talked up their idea of networks being a greener yeah. way to do all of this, and you don't have to do this, ch- you know. And then all of a sudden, we're back to eighty thousand people going in to this city. Now, all right, it's only one event in the year, yes, but the point is that. They're not. They're not ending other business. This is. This is. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of. It's a symptom, really. You know. And, you know. I just. I, I, a lot of this green stuff. You, you look at the James Crawford did a really good report, by the way, which I don't know if it's actually published yet, but I know some of the information no. that in it has already it's been in the pipeline been published mm. um, by me partly. But um, okay. the the track record on on green is not very good, and there's a lot of talk about being green and and reducing carbon emissions, and there's not a lot of progress oh. on it. Or there's a lot of green well, washing. Yeah, um, there certainly is. On the other hand, there is a more pressing thing at the moment, which is energy costs are so expensive that yes. actually, yeah, yeah the short term mm. it's using energy. And I've got more time it, for that because yeah, yeah. it's. it's Bloody expensive at the moment. Yeah. The the medium term, I think there's, yeah, there's some good stuff that's happening, and I yeah. think again, twenty you know, twenty thirty and and six G is probably uh, there was a lot more talk about sustainability by design for six G. Everything in five G or fixed or fixed networks are, are getting greener because fiber uses less energy than yeah. copper. Well, th- this almost gets uh, us into the net neutrality yeah. fair well, contribution yeah. thing. Well, I we're, think. we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. But I think that's I think, next. Yeah. Yeah, but I think for I think for for five G, yeah, it's it's sort of retrofitting it, yeah. and there there will be things that can be done, but there's also some greenwashing and possibly some fiddles. I am currently very sceptical of what happens when comp- when operators spin out their tower companies, because it might reclassify some of their emissions right. from what's called scope one or two to scope three, which yep. is supply chain. Yep. And suddenly they're getting their towers from a supplier, yep. even if it used to be part of them, and. Um, I think we probably need to spend some interest. Yeah, I'm not a carbon accountant, but I think some people should probably get the spreadsheets well, out. The uh, fact that there is such a thing, um, I think, is 
speaks volumes. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I was just going to say, then I'll have my the, the Scope 3 thing is, is um, fascinating to me because Scope 3 accounts for about 80% of emissions and, and, yeah. and, over, and over a huge part of that, they've got really no control at all, actually. There's very little they can do about what customers are doing. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, it's like um, several layers removed from them, isn't it? The interesting thing for me is, is how other sectors of the, of the tech industry are doing this. So I was, actually, one of the things that came out of PTC was the data centre industry is taking this very seriously indeed. You know, in, to the extent that there was one company that was put its data centre next to a nuclear power station with excess capacity. There's another one that had a hydrogen-powered um, nuclear uh, uh, mini data centre. Yeah, a few others. All the, even the subsea people, subsea cable people, were talking about the copper sh- or the metal sheathing on the co- and how long their boats are, are got their engines switched on while they're doing the cable laying and all this. <laughs> well, and you know, my I've said plenty of times on this pod that I'm deeply sceptical about. ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, especially the S and G bit. That's even worse. Um, which is which is what I just think of as sort of corporate virtue signalling slash box ticking, and it's also got this sort of slight Klaus Schwab WF thing going on that freaks me out. <laughs> Partly because he just presents as a Bond villain. Which I say, I, I, I'm much more like I'm much much more like to speak in Davos than in Barcelona. Is it? Yeah, I, I trust WF much more than GSK. Blimey. God, that's that makes something. me feel better about writing my. You have uh, that in common with uh, Keir Starmer. I think Keir Starmer, <laughs> Keir Starmer was asked a difficult question the other day whether he'd rather be in Parliament or Davos, and he went Davos, and he got beaten up about that. But um, yeah, I just look. I, I've said it before. I don't think I don't think um, public companies are capable of having a moral compass at all. all their incentives are obvious. Their, their share price, their fiduciary. There's all that stuff, and. I was, in fact, I was chatting to um, at one of one of these things we went to last week. Uh, our colleague Therese, Teresa was out, mm-hmm. and I was I was going off on this rant, and she was pushing back a little bit, and and she gave a good pushback. She went, "Yeah, but if good shit gets done anyway, even if it's done for cynical purposes, isn't it good in and of itself?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, fair point." Yeah. My my issue isn't with the actions; it's with I always think of myself as an antagonist to marketing departments. And, you know, and if they're going to, it's like, you know, something bad happens, like Ukraine happens or the earthquakes in, in Turkey happen. And then someone goes, we're zero rating or we're giving free or we're finding a way of helping these poor beleaguered people out. I think it's great. But as soon as they turn it into a press release, it just rankles with me because I think you're making basically commercial capital out of this. Otherwise, why are you sending it as a press release? Why not just do it and not publicize it? But anyway, and I think that about a lot of the green stuff, which is why I, I, I like stories like yours. I, I don't think you'll claim that they're pointing out the hypocrisy of flying on a private jet to talk about how green you are. You're the first person to do no, it. No, I know. Um, but it's a point well made, and, and they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it because it is hypocritical. And, and the same I, goes I, for I just wanted to have a bit of fun with the writing of it, really. Well, quite, and it was, so. it was good fun. And, and I've, got, I've heard people completely unprompted just just tell me how much they enjoyed it and you know back to back to my trolls on that story sometimes we write stuff because we fucking feel like it because we think it might be entertaining um but yeah i the the only thing that stops me like if i go to more congress and i hear a lot of green slash esg stuff going on the only thing that stops me from writing too opinionated stuff is you don't want to come over like the grinch you don't want to come over like the complete dick in the situation yeah um, and and not acknowledge that the good things they're doing are good. 
yeah. to some extent. I, I, and I think there's a lot of good stuff that is happening. Where I where I draw the line is there's, there's some very dodgy use of sort of metrics like energy per gigabyte, which usually yes. then f- yeah. feed into the, the, f- the so-called fair share debate and right. a bunch of yeah. other stuff. Which we keep All kicking right. down the road. Well, yeah, I, we'll get I on think, to next. I think that the, the whole energy thing acts against them on this fair share yeah. thing. Because if you look at... Um, so the argument that people like Vodafone and Telefonica, I think, have come out with quite publicly is that en- energy per gigabyte is the, w- the way they want to do it. It's gone down dramatically. Yeah. And if you look at the overall energy consumption in Europe, it's actually quite steady. Yeah. The only reason that they're spending more at the moment is because prices have gone up. And uh, this, these are two... I mean, the cost yeah. side of it, I think, is almost... <clears throat> It's not my main reason for not liking this argument, but if you look at the cost side of it, they're not spending any more in capital intensity. It's gone um, up like one percent, you know, over the last six years or something. While we're building out a new uh, mobile network, and the, the, uh, ima- the amount of energy, the, the, the variable energy use, all the variable cost per gigabyte, particularly on fixed but also on mobile, is very small. Yep. It's mostly in the concrete that holds the tower up, and the metal and the metal framework, and the electronics, and yeah, and the fact that you've got to keep the router on power powered on, whether there's you know, a gigabit a second or zero going through it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ridiculous thing is the day before launch of any network, there's zero traffic, which implies infinite energy per bit. And well, yeah, you think metric yeah. that is. Like, like to to um, finish I, off on the tangent I went off on, I'm totally in favour. Anything that's technological, if you can do the same thing uh, for less energy, or you can do more for the same energy, then what's not to like? It's only when they introduce a moral, ethical, <laughs> virtue signalling element that, that I rankle. Like one little example, last night when we were at this Gojira thing, um, they're quite socially conscious, these French guys. Uh, and they like to sing Except about... making your ears bleed. No, I mean, again, I don't mind, but they like to sing... <clears throat> and, and, and they've got some songs about ecology. And, and my son, who's, who introduced me to this band, I'd never heard of them before, I'm still stuck with fucking Metallica and... And Pantera. So they're and shit young like that. guys, are they? They're not sort of. Well, they're. Uh, I mean, they're post. They're post my era, but I'm 51, <laughs> aren't I? Um, and um, and I just said to him, you know, I'm being a bit of a killjoy. I'm going, yeah, you know. Bear in mind when you go to a live gig, you know, there's the sound, there's the people in there, there's the lights. They were shooting off streamers and, and all kinds of extra shit like <laughs> chaff to add to the effects. And I went, and I went, Jack, they're they're using a bit of energy now coming out of this message aren't they and he sort of went yeah good point <laughs> and so we can, everyone's always a hypocrite which is it, I think that's the biggest reason apart from the fact that it rankles I don't like PR and marketing um, cheap wins from virtue signaling mm. everyone's always a hypocrite yeah. no one's perfect yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and no one can claim to be perfect when it comes to eco stuff unless they unless they walk to Barcelona well, I, did, yeah. I, did own, I did own up to being a hypocrite in my Piece. Yes, you so, did. Yeah, yeah so, as am I. Oh. <laughs> but I don't virtue signal. It's the only difference. Oh, Nor do you. My, my, yeah. Oh, it's like I'm not going to Barcelona. I went to went to Honolulu instead. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. We keep. I mean, we're we're, we're past the time when yeah. I'd vowed I was going to stop it. But we've got one more topic that we keep kicking down the road. So let's do that and make our final topic. And it's <laughs> actually relevant to a a breaking news story that came out today. This is to do with the sort of fair contribution type of. Thing which, which for for people who aren't familiar with it, it's an argument from from European operators and, and people representing them that um, most of the data traffic that goes over their networks is driven by American sort of subscription video on demand people like Netflix and Amazon and and um, YouTube and that sort of thing. And so since they're using most of the resource, they should chip in for it. 
Um, and it may well come to... Uh, yeah, well, exactly. So I have an objection to that whole well, way. Well, we've had that, and, and we'll get into that. I'm just framing it, and then I'll hand it over. I'm going to hand it to um, Dean first, partly because um, we've got a prior pod that I think I remember him sort of um, remarking on and on Twitter. Yeah. So, so yeah, we've had discussion, and, and anyway, Europe's just announced that it's got that. You know how Europe likes to have these grand strategies and 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 um, looking into it. And, and they've just announced the thing. I don't really know it that well because it was all breaking while, we, while I was getting ready for the pod. But it does look like they're going to consider trying to put some kind of legislation in where they can force American um, hyperscalers to, to chip in. So, so, Dean, what do you think about that? And also, if you can remember back to the podcast mm. we did with Rosalind Layton at the start of the year where we spoke about that. You didn't seem to completely agree with that. So if you can give us some of your views. Well, there's two slightly linked but different things. There's the, the so-called fair share, the, co- the payment contribution, and there's net neutrality, which we've been around the houses on multiple times. And Ros- Rosalind was in town for um, a net neutrality yeah. event. On the fair share side of it, there's this so many fallacies in the argument. And to be fair to the European Commission, they're rather than leaping straight to you know, r- um, legislation on this, they're now doing a consultation and questionnaire now, you could make an argument that you know, the way they framed it is to get the answer that they want to get out of it. But at the same time, at least they, they're encouraging participation and they're going to get it from lots of different quarters over appropriate time. The argument is that a share, it was above 50%, rather embarrassingly, it's now below 50% of internet traffic, and this is internet access traffic, comes from... I like a, that it's gone below 50%. Yeah, a certain number of... Um, big services, Netflix, uh, Amazon, and a bunch of others. Um, now, to be perfectly honest, I can't see the difference. If I'm watching a movie, it doesn't make any difference if we all three of us watch a movie from Netflix or we each watch it from separate sources. Yeah. We're still... Gener- yeah. and, that, and the point here is that we, the user, is generating the traffic because I click the button saying, send me, I want to watch the movie. Yeah. The internet works not by people sending stuff. We can debate about adverts and updates and stuff, but by you requesting it. So yeah. the generator... In fact, if you think about it, YouTube is user-generated content. Yes. Yeah, it is by definition user-driven. They're hosting it. And to some extent, it's a mischaracterization to say that it, these companies are generating traffic, particularly also Amazon and Google, where they've got both their um, video streaming services and they've got cloud services with thousands of companies using AWS, including the telcos. So if I go to a, a telco-hosted cloud core, who, whose traffic does that get counted? Is that... Is that Amazon's, mm. or is it the telcos, or both? Anyway, we'll part that one for now. Um, the other thing is that the costs of networks are very little to do with traffic volume or tonnage, um, and especially on fixed networks and to some extent on mobile networks, that's that's very true. And even on mobile networks, you have to double-click. I've got a big problem with people using these big, oh, but there's this number of petabytes per month for the whole country, whereas, in fact, in certain places, it's very thin, and, and actually, a lot of the cost goes in building out coverage in rural areas, even if there's one man and a sheep using it. You've still got to build the cell tower with all the concrete and everything else and the capex. Um, and also, you need to separate out things like fixed wireless from mobile broadband. You know, uh, And there's, there's also a lot of design decisions taken by the operators, which were poor architectural decisions, which have generated costs for themselves, which is not really incumbent upon others to pay for. So I think there's, there's a long list of arguments 
and I, I think perhaps one of the, the killer arguments against this type of model is at the moment the average traffic on a broadband line is sort of two to four or five megabits a second. And frankly, if the operators aren't making money at less than 10 megasecond, why are they pitching and building gigabit networks with you know, the opportunity yeah. to lose 100 times more? Yeah. Because that doesn't yeah. make sense, well, even that, if someone else is having to subsidise I've, it. I've, um, when you haven't been on the pod, but we've been talking about this, I remember, do you remember we... Um, we met up, I think, last summer at an orange thing in King's yeah. Cross, and you and I just went off on a tangent chatting about this, and I and I, I don't know if you heard that pod, but I, I gave you credit for yeah. flagging that up to me. They built the fucking networks anyway. It's a bit cheeky for them to then retroactively go, well, some people are using them. Yeah. They should pay more. Well, I suspect if, yeah. uh, you know, if, if the operators were in all sorts of growth areas and 5G revenues yeah. are going up like this and big tech companies didn't exist and internet traffic was dispersed a lot more widely, let's say, across two or, two or 3,000 yeah. companies, we wouldn't be having this discussion. No. It's opportunistic. It's, it's opportunistic. They don't, they don't like the fact that there's that there's a few big companies We're, doing very well when they're not. And I know, I know I took you to task for using pipes, but I, I've, got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got to say... Yeah, basically, I still this defiantly is, use the metaphor. All right, then. All right. We're dumb. Please tax the clever people for us. Yeah, this is what it boils down. Well, to. and I, in the past when I've had some fun, I've called it uh, telecom socialism. It's just wealth redistribution. But, in fact, I think you've even used a picture of a Che Guevara flag. And even the then, you, you have to all those wealth. If you're going to do it, you have to net it out against all of the dead streaming companies, which VCs and investors put billions in and then disappeared. You say, oh, the market cap of these companies is huge. Yeah, yeah. What about all the the negative but market cap? The one percent. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm conscious we're all sort of mm. agreeing with each other on this issue. So, I mean, if you were to play devil's advocate mm. and say, you know, if you look at like the equity analysts who cover the sector, yeah. they say, well, none of the operators are making, ret- uh, they're not covering their weighted average cost of capital uh, in, in most European countries. Um, they do have to invest, you know, when you get, I mean, I know mm. it's mainly coverage, it's not mainly capacity, but if you do get a big capacity mm. increases, you do have to spend more money on new yeah. servers and things like that. And if it just carries on going up exponentially, then... It's not. And, and the operators don't make more money because they're in a flat market where subscribers aren't paying anymore. Then what, what do they well, do? Well, well the first thing is this lie of exponential, right? Is, is Growth is not exponential. And I would ask you next time someone claims it is ask them to define mathematically what an exponential is because actually the growth rates are slowing they're not increasing for for both mobile and fixed traffic and in some cases a couple of cases have even started going backwards um uh, the other the other side to this is the uk we've got what is 150 fiber all nets who have in the last three years raised money and started building fiber networks in the full knowledge that people watch netflix yep Right, so there's all of these companies and their investors yeah. in the absolute knowledge that people will use these quotes pipes yeah. for video streaming. When yeah, yeah that's you all keep right. using it, don't you? Here's a few. You're going to stop slagging me off about pipes. <laughs> you keep fucking yeah. using it. Here's twenty. Here's twenty. But oh, there are actually physical ducts you got to put in. So I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the no, dig, dig no, a hole. You're dig going a hole with a metaphor. Don't give me plastic. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's people who've basically committed twenty billion pounds in the full knowledge that that's what they're going to get used for. Well, quite, yeah. and for them to then retrospectively go, hold on a sec. Well, actually, it's not them, it's the alternates. The, 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 the actual the big companies now are spending less on this. Yeah. So, do you think, because I'm about, yeah, yeah, I know, um, about six months ago when I, when I think Thierry Breton <clears throat> announced that he was going to have another butchers at this, which is the precise language he used being yeah, French. Yeah. A French cockney in it, in it. Boucher. <laughs> Boucher. Yeah, that actually translates quite well between the languages, doesn't it? Is he um, French? I think oh. the name well, like Thierry Breton. Well, I thought maybe he was, I thought maybe he was Belgian. Yeah, it's a fucking same thing, isn't it? 
Family Guy Country. Oh, well, oh. <laughs> he went there. Oh, dear. Um, um, anyway, when he answered about Kidding. six months ago, um, that they were looking into it, there was also a lot of stuff that said that, you know, uh, there's been a, an EU view on this f- going back decades where they've just gone, nah, it's not happening. But... I'm just getting a, a sense that they're that they're getting keen on the idea. They are, but the thing is, there's so many unintended consequences. I mean, one of is like you know, they come out and say, right, Google, you you've got to, or Amazon, you've got to invest in infrastructure. I think one of them's going to turn around and say, all oh, right, we're buying Cellnex. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, like, right there you go. How much infrastructure do you want? Yeah, yeah. We own it. By the way, they now pay us. How do you yeah. like their apples? Yeah, yeah. That, now, that's this, this is well. this is why I think this whole thing's a bit a bit like careful what you wish for, guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or, or or actually, you know what? We're you're right, and 80% of wireless use is in JAWS. We will give everyone a free Wi-Fi 7 access point as long as you, the European uh, regulators, give us the 6 gigahertz we've been asking for. Sorry, mobile operators. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's hundred ways where yeah, they can, yeah. if they want to fuck with it, they can. Do, do you see, I mean, in terms of where it's going to go, do you see, do you, do you, how do you how do you see it? Because I, I I've not seen anything sensible uh, even in terms of how you would charge them or how this is measured. No. And uh, it's good. It's good. It's, uh, the, the, again, the, the lawyers make lots of money. My guess is that it comes out with you know the recent thing about M and A and cross border consolidation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that that gets the sort of tell you what we'll do this and we'll do a little bit of something. Yeah, we'll set up a, a universal fudge. service fund or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. yeah th- there'll be some sort of fudge there. I don't think the idea that that Amazon is going to be writing checks to Deutsche Telekom yeah, um, yeah. at the well, same time Deutsche Telekom is writing checks to Amazon or Google for and its, even if its they did it I mean presumably there, there's legal recourse for these for these big well, US but tech. what if but if they don't pay what are, well, they, what are the telcos going to do? Yeah, well, it's that I, as well. I, 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 what are they going to cut them off? And the other thing is, they seem to forget <laughs> what came before streaming services, which was peer-to-peer. So is it like, you're like, yeah. all right, you know what, we're going to go back to Napster, and you do it for video yeah, yeah. now. Here's, yeah. here's the open-source software. End users, help mm. yourself. You're sending the traffic, not us. Yeah. And here's yeah. the licensing mechanism. So I'm, we're getting... So having said I'm going to keep it shorter, we're getting up to the two-hour mark. So I'm going to... I'm not going to apologise this time because there was so much to talk about and Dean's a great guest. Are we up to the two-hour mark already? We are. We're about 10 minutes short, I think. Um, About that? Yeah, 10, 15 minutes short. Sometimes it's just too good. Well, exactly. It's it's worth going with. So sorry, everyone, who thinks it's a bit long. But hopefully you'll agree. I think there probably have been times in the past where we've let a topic run where maybe I could have stepped in and gone, OK, I think we've more or less covered that. But this time, I think we covered about a million topics, so I'm, I'm unapologetic, so... Just wait, deal wait, with it. Last one, last thought on MWC. We don't need to wear masks, do we? No, I don't think sure so. Not. I don't think so. I mean, I've still got that that anecdote. I'm sure I've told on the pod before. Well, I didn't even where, do the certificates. I mean, that sort of gone, doesn't no, it? it's not che- of that. Checking in. At, at, yeah, but it, know, but it was. But they were more uptight than were, the rest the, of the Spain. Spanish well, were, although yeah. last time I was in Spain, you still had to wear them on the metro. Yeah, yes, well, I did as well. The fuse in November, you still wore them on the Metro is Madrid. It? Jesus yeah, Christ. And probably they'll have that in. I had Barcelona, that one thing um, last year at World War Congress. Remember, we all went out, um, John Strand was out with us. We were all drinking one of those little AstroTurf beer gardens on the mm. elevated bit. And then and then they chucked us out about seven, and I just really needed a slash. Um, I thought, where can I go? And I went, I oh, know, I'll go into the press centre. I tried to get in, and one of these little 18 year old. Yeah, 18 year old. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I, I won't characterise them too harshly. Majordome. Yeah, these 18-year-old motivated young people um, just said to me, hold on a sec, what are you here for? And I was like, I just need to go to the toilet. And they went, no, nah, you can only come in if you're picking up a bag. And I went, all right, I'm picking up a fucking bag. And then he went, go on then. And I went and had a slash and came out and he went, what are you doing? 
You can't just do what you want. Oh, well, I just did, mate. Um, and that was that. So hopefully it won't come to that. I don't want to antagonise these nice young Spanish people. But if they're getting between me and the bug when I've just had a few, something's got to give, hasn't it? So uh, there we go. Um, all right, look, let's... Uh, yeah, let's 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 wrap it. I know I know we cut that um, fair contribution thing a little bit short, but I'm trying to train myself. You know, other people who do pods or, or, or like old school news, they'd like cram a massive topic into one minute. Yeah. I'm trying to find that compromise between really badly though. What they would. Yeah, uh, in the, yeah no, do, I, I think that's how. You, you know, I'm, I, I'm I'm a big fan of completely letting the conversation run, yeah. but I I'm just trying to teach myself some techniques for introducing a little bit of structure. So on that note. I'm gonna, bye. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I don't see you later. Um, so yes, um, if anyone's listening to this and and they bump into me at Mobile Congress and want to tell me how great we are, on the podcast, then, then feel not, free. Don't bother. Yeah, uh, if you think it's shit, then yeah. just don't bother. Yeah, you can tell him how great I am as well because I'm not going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can you can talk about what, how this is the best podcast you ever heard. Um, but thanks again, Dean. That was brilliant. That was good fun. Cheers, um, and yeah, sometime hopefully before the next Mobile Congress, we'll get you on again. And thank you, Ian. And yeah, so um, next time you hear from us, we'll be shooting one from the show floor. God knows what that's going to be like. It's always utter chaos. But that'll be the next one you hear in about a week's time we'll have done from Barcelona. So until then, I um, hope you enjoyed this and join us for that one.